This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is Frank Morano, America's overnight voice and the soundtrack of your dreams. Well, say what you want about the uh, the Super Bowl last night. You cannot say that that was a boring game. My goodness. You want to talk about a game that kept you riveted from the first second to the the last second in overtime. My goodness. That was it. I was supporting the 49ers, uh, but uh, I'm happy for the Chiefs. It's an incredible, incredible uh, achievement. And uh, I've asked my colleague, Dominic Carter, to stick around because there's another interesting thing happening in the world of sports that's going on. Dominic Carter is a veteran broadcast journalist and one of the best talk show hosts around. What's going on? Good morning. Did you enjoy the game? I, I did. You know, I mean, it's uh, I was working during the game, you know, so I'm I'm reading the news. Mm-hmm. I'm making notes. Mm-hmm. I'm contacting guests. I'm, uh, cu- you know, cutting sound. I'm trying to... You know, I, I'm watching with one eye, but even even still, I thought it was a lot of fun. News flash to the 49ers and every other NFL team. If there's 10 seconds left on the clock, <laughs> don't give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. Go out of bounds, take a knee, whatever. If you give the ball back to Mahomes and you're you're winning by less than seven, you might as well say bye-bye. You know, the Super Bowl is interesting. Uh, but you, is your wife a football fan? No, no, she she may watch the commercials. Right, so th- that's where that's what I was just going to say. The Super Bowl or, or is cook interesting. All day for me. <laughs> did she do that yesterday? Uh, she did. She oh, did. Nice, great. Uh, but but stuff I shouldn't eat. Oh, uh, uh, really? I like uh. to I like to cook outdoors. Uh huh. So we had stuff I really shouldn't eat. We had some fried chicken wings. Oh, really? Well, that's prime we, Super Bowl fare. If you're yeah, not going to have it yesterday, yeah, when are you but I may have a heart attack. Well, we had it some. It goes <laughs> to show you where her interests are. <laughs> we, we, your, your insurance premiums <laughs> must be paid up if that's the case. We we had some nachos with hamburger and cheese oh, and, boy. you know, all that type of stuff. So um, the Super Bowl is interesting because this is the one sporting event of the year. And it's not like this for the World Series, not like this for the Final Four of the NCAA. It's not like this for the Stanley Cup. Um, It's the one sporting event of the year where people that don't follow the sport will watch the telecast because it's become such a big part of Americana. And if people aren't watching for the commercials, as as you were, they're watching for the halftime show. They're watching for what's going on, who the honorary captains. My mom, who I don't think has watched a football game maybe ever, she's texting me her review of the halftime show. So I think this is one of those Wait, areas. what did your mom say? She gave it a two thumbs down. Uh, really? Two thumbs down. She did not like. Uh, Why? Why? I, you know, I didn't get a, I, I chance to ask her if she's if she's awake right now. She's welcome to call in. But I, I think maybe she just wasn't familiar with a lot of the a lot of the songs. But see, but see, it's amazing. It's all in the eyes of the beholder, mm-hmm. right? The halftime show. So 
the NFL, when they hired Jay-Z as their like musical director or whatever for the Super Bowl, they're trying to be hip, and that means rap, that means Usher, that means, uh, I don't think DMX ever did it. It means Beyonce, you know, it means Jay-Z. Right, sure. But then to, to a large portion of America, they're like, huh? Well, so it's interesting that you say that. My wife, while we're watching it, and then while we're driving home from our friend's house around the corner, she's telling me that was the Best Super Bowl halftime show she has seen in her lifetime. And what my friend Rich said, that was our, our friends that we went and watched the game with, that what they're trying to do, the NFL, in picking artists like uh, Usher, are find folks that were very big 15, 20 years ago because the people that were big fans of them 20 years ago are now kind of the the people that have the, the money to support you know, advertising and things like that. So that was his theory that um, Usher kind of hits the sweet spot of not too old, not too young, and meaning they can still perform even though maybe their heyday was 20 years ago. So that was his theory. But um, so what we're going to do, and I don't, I can honestly say, if you're just tuning into this show, wherever you're listening, uh, anywhere I in the country, I want your mom to call in. Yeah, I wish she was up. 800 if uh, Stephanie Moreno is, uh, is listening. But if you're listening anywhere in the country, if you're stumbling home from a Super Bowl party somewhere, what you're going to hear next is unlike anything else you will hear anywhere on the radio. Because this is, and I'm not joking when I say this, this sounds like something I would do with shtick. Coming up in about 20 minutes, the person reviewing the halftime show, the commercials, and everything else about the non-football aspect of it will be none other then disgraced former congressman George Santos. George Santos, no. 100%. You know, it's funny. I, I texted him yesterday. Wait, asked, Santos is going to call in and join you on this program that, in right. about 20 minutes? That's right. You can see, wow. um, you can, you can see wow. what he wrote me here when I asked him if he wanted to come on okay. and comment on the game. And uh, you could see... <laughs> <laughs> I'll share it when he comes on uh, because it would be impolite for That's me to good. share that That's on air, good. isn't That's it? Good. All right. But here's what I want to. But get he's your not take the first on. one, though. To, the, but they do watch for That's the, true. I, That's true. For the we'll, commercials. Yeah, for the commercials. So we're going to get his take. So even if you're not into football, you're going to want to hear my discussion with George Santos coming up in about 20 minutes to get his take. Because honestly, you don't know what he's going to say, and you don't know how true it is. So that's coming up in about 20 minutes. This is what I want to get your opinion on. Speaking of sports and kind of the larger-than-life um, aspect of certain sports. Do I want to be Patrick Mahomes? Well, <laughs> of course I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, after seeing Brittany in the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition, I can see why. There's now something, you're aware of the, the buzz and the controversy regarding performance-enhancing drugs, right? Yes. In, in yes. sports, in the Olympics, in the NFL, yes. everywhere. Yes. Now, there's something called the enhanced games that a bunch of really wealthy people, mostly crypto people, billionaires, entrepreneurs, led by this entrepreneur named Aaron D'Souza, they have a plan to host a version of the Olympics where basically there are no restrictions on performance-enhancing drugs. And as you might imagine, there has been a huge backlash to this of people that think this is dangerous, that think this is inappropriate. I agree. And 
they're going forward with it. They are going forward with the this ambitious plan for the enhanced games. Now, even a couple of athletes have said, yeah, we're going to go ahead and participate in this. My question for you, uh, Dominic, is where do you see this going? Do you actually see this coming to fruition? I see it going nowhere. I, I see it as a, a, a few uh, wealthy people pushing the idea, hoping against hope, and it's not going to happen. You know, but but then again, I thought that idea of a three o three on three basketball tournament that I think Ice Cube started. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a fluke, but I think it's still around. Oh, really? It's still around. Uh, so you know, but that's all. This idea is almost as bad that you hear about what happened up in Canada, and they've been warning about this. That uh, uh, college coaches love to win, right? And so up in Canada, a girls uh, volleyball game. Three of the athletes on one team were were tra- are transgender. Oh, yeah. I, I did hear about this. And yeah, I two, talked about this. Yeah. And two on the other team, and it's it's those are spots that should go for females. So, in my opinion, oh no, I you agree. Know, and so I don't see this idea going. Well, it's going to be very interesting, and I'd be curious to hear where people, uh, what what people think about this. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Could you get on board for the enhanced games? Uh, Dominic Carter is a no vote, but. Oxford-educated lawyer, entrepreneur, and self-publicist Aaron D'Souza. This is the kind of character that, you know, and also Peter Thiel very much involved with this. He publicly announced this ambitious plan for the enhanced games, essentially a drugs Olympics where doping is encouraged and anything goes. Last week, D'Souza insisted his motives have very little to do with personal financial gain. He said, look, I've had a very successful career as a venture capitalist, as a tech entrepreneur, and if I wanted to simply make money, I would continue to do that. Instead, he is suggesting his motivation is deeper rooted. He said this is a personal crusade to challenge the International Olympic Committee's hegemony And it's one that he says, it's a challenge he says he's felt since the age of seven when he first began to realize that the ever-broken system that governs the world's biggest sporting event, the Olympics, in that belief alone, he may find widespread support. He's been everywhere. In fact, I'm going to invite him on this show to make his case because I agree with Dominic. I think this is a terrible, terrible idea. I think this sends the wrong message to athletes. I think it sends the wrong message to aspiring athletes. I think this could put the athletes that end up participating in this in danger. But I'm curious what you think. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. This guy's been everywhere in recent days. He has been courted by the media Outlets like this program, other media outlets as well, and he's aiming to generate traction for this very ambitious and very controversial project that he intends to fund like a traditional Silicon Valley startup. So far, he's provided all the cash himself, and now comes the hunt for the millions that he hopes is going to make his dream a reality. It it does require a pretty big dose of skepticism to question whether such a grotesque and dangerous idea will ever make it off the ground. Dominic says, no, no way, no how. But given 
any risky association with an overtly drug-promoting organization, who would want to invest in that? That's what I just can't imagine. So how has D'Souza already managed to convince three Olympians to risk their reputations by joining his Athletes Advisory Commission? But sure enough, he has. They've gotten uh, South Africa's Olympic gold medal winning swimmer, Roland Schumann, fellow swimmer, Brett Frazier, who made the Olympic semifinals three times for the Cayman Islands, and the Canadian bobsleigh athlete, Christina Smith. So I would love to hear your take on this. Give me a call. Let me know if you would watch this game, if you would, if you think this, I don't know, really just give me your take on this overall, 800-848-9222. If you think this is a good idea or you think this will work, meaning maybe you don't think it's a good idea, but you think it's going to be a big success, we want to go to you first. We'll put you to the uh, front of the line because I, I think this is downright dangerous. And yet you have some very serious people. I mentioned uh, Mr. D'Souza and I believe Peter Thiel and other crypto people are involved with this at all. They are... Very serious about pursuing it. Tell me, tell me what you think. 800-848-9222. There's uh, a big question about law enforcement, right? It's not clear necessarily who's going to take part in the games, when and where they would be run, or exactly how much prize money is at stake. But the organizers of the games sell, says they'll stump up the cash. Uh, and in a statement, D'Souza says they've not spoken with the swimmer Magnuson yet, but they would pay the prize money for him and others to join this enhanced movement league. Uh, the swimmer, James Magnuson, says he would come on board as their first athlete, but others view this as scary and dangerous, and that's kind of where I am. But, you know, these are all people, Peter Thiel, um, Mr. D'Souza, and others that have a long history of getting things right. So I'd love to hear from you. Let me know what you think. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Is this Stephen? Uh, yes, this is Steve from Elmont. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't really want to speak about the um, enhancement, so I know you said you wanted to take calls about that in regards. All right, well, what do you got for us, half- Steve? You what, what do you got? Okay, I wanted to talk about the halftime game and why it's getting so... Um, you know, I guess hip-hop-ish, you know, with hip-hop being the most influential music in the world, and I guess it's a great way to get more audience to watch the show, especially when you have the Taylor Swifties watching the show, and it's bringing in a lot of money, and people like me who usually don't watch the show, I watch it for the commercials and the half right, game. Right, right. Well, that's and why, I, other- I mean, I think a lot of people do that very thing. That's why I have George Santos coming on to review exactly that. What was your, uh, did you have a favorite commercial there, Steve? I actually didn't get a chance to see the game fully. I watched it on someone who was at the game who was streaming it live on their phone. That's how I got to see the halftime. But I didn't get a chance to see the commercial. But when I go home, I'm going to go on YouTube and just look everything up again, because those are like some of the greatest commercials all year. What'd you think of the uh, halftime show? Uh, it wasn't my favorite. I think I know all the songs. I love the artists. I love the presentation. But I don't know. It just seemed so uh, Broadway. It didn't really seem like a Broadway. It, I, 
it was great. He did a great job, but uh, I think it was all right. You know, and thanks, Steve. I appreciate the call. Um, 800-848-9222. I really wasn't familiar with, uh, with any of the songs that they sang. I think there was one that I knew, but most of the others were not songs that I was familiar with. They just really, they're not my thing. Not, you know, that's why there's 31 flavors at Baskin Robbins, right? They weren't for me. I will tell you, though, as far as the showmanship of the halftime show, the uh, the dancing and the choreography and the costumes and the production value of the halftime show, even though I wasn't necessarily into most of the songs, I thought it was really well done. I thought it was really uh, quite impressive in, in my judgment. Hey, uh, just on this enhancement games front, um, just one thing I did want to clear, I, I did want to make clear. Doping is not going to be mandatory. So it's not, it's it's encouraged, but if you want to participate in these enhanced games and you don't want to take a performance-enhancing drug of some sort, you can participate with, you know, without doping. So the American Medical Association has warned that recreational drugs are also used in sports cheating and come with their own dangers, and that many drugs might be mixed with unknown substances. And honestly, that's exactly what I worry about here. I mean, at a time when we're seeing um, drug overdoses at an all-time high, do we really want a league, a sports league, anywhere promoting drugs, which is essentially what they're doing? I mean, you've se- I'm a pro wrestling fan, and you've seen the damage to the health that has been done to so many great pro wrestlers over the years and the people that have died prematurely from abusing not only anabolic steroids but a lot of painkillers that competitive athletes like pro wrestlers who you know put their body through a lot of physically demanding punishment come to rely on. And if you have a league that's not even going to be checking for this thing, and, in fact, outright promoting it, to me, I think that's a pretty scary thing. 800-848-9222. You know, one of the things that Lance Armstrong got in trouble for was blood doping, right? Where, you know, basically you replace – it's been a while since I read about this, but from what I remember is you replace um, the blood that's in your system now with blood that's not – Tired. You, it's your own blood, and maybe they run it through a centrifuge or something, and that kind of revs it up, I guess, and that allows your muscles to get more oxygen and allow you to keep going a little bit longer. It's one of the reasons Lance Armstrong is pretty disgraced. And that practice is pretty dangerous. It's been linked to the deaths of several cyclists over the years. That's going to be permitted here. And... D'Souza's response of, well, every action has risks and games organizers key to managing risks will be clinical supervision. I think um, I think it's inappropriate. Now, he's saying that drug testing is not about safety, but about fairness. And he says the pressure to use drugs is already there because of the number of elite athletes already using banned substances. Maybe he's got a point there. I don't think so. I think this is way inappropriate. 
800-848-9222. Robert in Maryland, what do you think of the enhanced games? Oh, uh, that, they didn't even say uh, how much. And it's also totally medically unethical. And he should have uh, put parameters on it. It's unsafe. And one thing, you're a great person, unbendable, a man of integrity, was on book TV tonight, recorded John Castamatidis. Oh, fantastic. on C-SPAN? You should have him on. Yeah, well, I, he's been on before. We did a whole hour on his book when it came out. No. He was on C-SPAN tonight? He, uh, well, I, I guess that was recorded. How far do you want to go uh, uh, yeah, from uh, Common Sense Billionaire? Right. I'm, I'm going to check it out. That. I'm going to check it out. Thanks, Robert. You know, I'm a big fan of C-SPAN. I like so much of their programming, and I love their website. If you are a modern history nerd, there is nothing better than C-SPAN.org because what you can do there is search their video search feature, right? So you can say, let's say you're interested in, um, I don't know, um, Ted Kennedy, right? You can go to C-SPAN.org and type in Ted Kennedy, and it will bring up every time Ted Kennedy was ever on C-SPAN. It's the coolest thing in the world. If you're interested in um, Curtis Lewa, my colleague Curtis Lewa, you can type in Curtis Lewa. It'll bring up a speech that he gave to a high school 20 years ago, and then it'll bring up him um, talking about the New York governor's race 30 years ago. I mean, anything that's ever been on C-SPAN is on C-SPAN.org. You just search your whatever you want to search, and it comes right up. I use it all the time as a resource for finding stuff, and sometimes I just get go down a rabbit hole, and I get lost on there, and really, really, sometimes you, you look up, and okay, I've been watching Pat Buchanan videos for seven hours, uh, and it's really an incredible resource. Mary in New Jersey, what do you think of the big game? Oh, okay. Um, I thought it was great. I, I I know next to nothing about football, but the Super Bowl I watch and I follow that ball with every move. And I called it for the Kansas for the uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs, and I'm very happy about it. I thought the halftime show with Usher was very good. I very much enjoyed it. Um, it was good music. I never thought of it being hip hop. It's just good music. And it was nice not to see, you know, naked women up there for a change in a halftime show. That was great. And my favorite commercial was uh, the Volkswagen with Neil Diamond, I Am, I Said. That was very impressive. And it caused me to go to YouTube to pull up the audio of him singing it. And I found um, comments on there that were just put on you know, recently, as soon as it came out, mentioning that seeing it on the commercial mm. caused them to listen to the music. So, all in all, it, it was just great, great night. Wonderful, Mary. I'm glad you enjoyed the game. Uh, I did too. I didn't. I must have missed that particular commercial. Maybe I, uh, you know, I was, I was, had my head buried in a, a newspaper or was, you know, doing some show prep at that time. But uh, I missed that Volkswagen commercial. Also, I didn't watch the whole thing. I, I caught the last bit of the game on the radio because I had to drive into work. But uh, that it sounds very compelling. I'm going to check it out. Uh, before we get to George Santos, Ed is in Westchester. Hi, Ed. 
Hey, Frank. Um, I just wanted to say I thought the uh, halftime show was right on target. It was it was absolutely perfect. Um, I'm a DJ, and uh, I think that it hit the perfect demographic. You know, I DJ a lot of bar mitzvahs with 40- and 50-year-old parents, and they want to hear 90s hip-hop. And I think that Usher is really more mainstream than even 90s hip-hop. I thought the presentation was amazing. I thought the dancing was amazing. I just thought it was a very, very high-quality uh, halftime show. And I thought that the best commercial, well, I thought it was really cool, was the Duncan commercial with uh, Ben, ben Affleck. Affleck. I, I, th- I thought that was yeah. very funny. I thought that was, I thought that, I'm yeah. with you on that one. I thought that was very, really well done. Uh, Ed, thank you. In fact, you know, we're going to talk to Robert Wall, who played Arliss. And uh, Robert Wall is in this pseudo feud with Ben Affleck. And I'm going to have to ask him about that as well. George Santos joins me next. We'll talk. We'll get his take on uh, the game and the halftime show and everything else. This is the other side of midnight air post Super Bowl edition of the program. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, some of you are driving home from a Super Bowl party. Some of you are smarting over having lost on the big game. Others are trying to figure out what the big deal is, why your husband, why your uncle, why your grandfather went crazy in uh, time and time again uh, as the score seemed to change repeatedly and always at the least opportune times. But for the politicos in the audience, believe it or not, this result of the Kansas City Chiefs winning in a very dramatic fashion is quite a disappointment because it feels it feeds into a lot of these Taylor Swift anti-Donald Trump conspiracy theories. But more so than being a sports event, more so than being the most watched television event of the year by a lot, the Super Bowl has very much become a cultural event. Everyone's talking about the national anthem. Everyone's talking about the halftime show. So I thought, who better to turn to than a man who went from being a congressman to being really kind of, uh, I'll refer to him as our show's cultural critic at large, a guy who seems to have transcended the world of politics and is now very much a part of the American culture. As far as uh, as far as whether it's for the, for the best or for the worst, I guess the jury might still be out on that. I am very, very pleased to welcome former Republican congressman from New York and cultural critic at large, George Santos. Congressman, it's great to have you back on the radio. 
Oh, Frankie, it's great to be back with you. And I love the cultural critic at large. <laughs> I love the title. I'll you, take it. You got to update your uh, your cameo bio to include that. Cultural critic at large. You know. <laughs> um, all right. Let's talk about the game. I know when I asked you to come on and talk about the game, you said, you know, the halftime show is more my thing. You know, let's remember I'm homosexual. Uh, did you end up watching any of the actual game? What did you think of the sports aspect of it? So, so, so to, to back to back that statement, when I say I'm a homosexual, I mean it by every definition. Sure. I cannot comment on sports. I watch it. I watch the Super Bowl every year like every good American. But I'm terrible at commenting because I don't understand the game as much as probably somebody more technical would. But obviously, I'm here and look forward to the halftime show like every other regular Joe Schmo who's watching the game. And I got to tell you, this year's halftime show, Frankie, by far, hands down, the best. In my lifetime. You know, and I'll say this. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. My wife well, said the same thing, and I've never heard her express that kind of enthusiasm about a halftime show, really, ever. It's because your wife's a millennial, and she went through all the <laughs> crap she did through junior high school and high school listening to Usher, Ludacris, Little John, and Alicia Keys, just like I did. So for all the, the Gen Zers out there who probably don't know a single song that was played on that stage today— for me, it was my entire youth wrapped up in 15 minutes, and so many people across the country saw it. It was, it was a great mix of R&B, hip-hop, that love story that we all have gone through when we were younger, and it just hit home for me. And I got to tell you, the moment Usher came out with the coat over the shoulder, it gave me severe flashbacks to just late last year. So I got to tell you, I loved it. <laughs> so five-star review on the halftime show. Uh, what about... Six-star review. Oh, Let's six, just give stars uh, out. <laughs> I'll tell you, hey, um, Reba McIntyre doing the national anthem. I mean, I don't know how much you can do with the national anthem. What did you make of Reba McIntyre in the national anthem? As good as the national anthem can be because no one's ever going to outdo Whitney Houston. Mm -hmm. So it was great. As good as it can be. And, and, you know, you commend her for it. She did a great job. She had the boots. She had the fur. And the whole stadium was looking at her. So it was fantastic. One of the things that was somewhat controversial this year is uh, they are continuing with the performance of the song Lift Every Voice, which as some people call the Black National Anthem. Some old school folks thought this was a little bit too woke and not the kind of thing that needed to be added. Did you have any sort of a take on that? Oh, come on. It's it's American history. It's part of America's fabric. Whatever you no want to call it. So it's no big it's deal. It's a great patriotic song. Why are we? I am so bored about all the political divisiveness, even with our <laughs> freaking hymns. Like, seriously, just go away. These are these are great patriotic songs. and Stop politicizing everything and stop calling it the Black National Anthem because it's it's just a very nice patriotic song. Right. It's not as if they're in the in the midst of the song saying we hate all white people or anything like that. It's just, you know, it's a, it's, it is pretty uplifting. I agree. It, it, here's the deal. It's an opportunity that this entire country has taken to politicize everything from Barbie to football and to patriotic songs. So it, it's just so boring. It's like, move on. Uh, talking with uh, former Congressman George Santos, uh, God bless America, post Malone. I had no idea he had that many tattoos on his face. What would you make of that performance? It was interesting to watch somebody like post Malone. I mean, I grew up, and I think you, we've all grown up 
God Bless America rendered by people like Celine Dion and, and the likes of Celine Dion. So when you watch Post Malone doing it, it, it didn't land for me. I would have chosen someone else, but I get it. We're trying to be inclusive here, and we want everybody to feel represented. So, hey, like, maybe next year, Frankie, it can be you and I. We can do a duet <laughs> and harmonize on it. <laughs> um, hey, maybe people may pay a premium for that on Cameo, believe me. But uh, I'm not pretty so sure. sure they would. <laughs> um, there was so much buzz going into this game, as I alluded to a couple of minutes ago, about uh, Taylor Swift. Would she be at the game? Would she not be at the game? A lot of folks said she was going to use this as uh, the opportunity to endorse uh, Joe Biden. What did you make of all the Taylor Swift fervor? Some people who are just, you know, pure football fans, they felt that she's been a little bit uh, overshadowing the NFL this season. And a lot of folks that are very strong Trump people, which I know you are, they feel that, uh, you know, she's using her influence to kind of, uh, you know, hurt Donald Trump electorally. Did you have any take on the Taylor Swift aspect of the buzz around the Super Bowl? I think Taylor Swift's great. I think she's so great. I, I, I authored an entire bill in Congress for women's rights and named it the Swift Act. Now, here's my problem. Taylor Swift is a pop icon. Football is not pop culture. And we need to take the conspiracy theories about Taylor Swift and, and stop with that. And I've been saying this to conservatives left and right. We are single-handedly going to give her more power than she actually has over this presidential upcoming election because we are obsessed with her. Right. There's no psyop. There's no – grow up. Why are people so bored that now they're making stuff up out of cloth just to fit a crazy narrative of some crazy psyop that they believe is necessary? I mean, I don't even know. This is post-midnight. Can I drop F-bombs here? Because that's what <laughs> I feel like dropping. Don't, so don't. For my sake. Uh, I get it. <laughs> hey, uh, one of the things that historically has always been a big part of the Super Bowl experience is the watching of the of the commercials. Did any commercials really stand out for you tonight? Look, no, I don't think a Pfizer commercial should have been on the Super Bowl. I think that at where we are today, I think uh, I, I wish the NFL would have understood how negatively that impacts uh, most Americans actually enjoying and watching the NFL. But I will say this. It, I can't call it a Super Bowl commercial, but it was one of the commercials in between. It was a Jennifer Coolidge uh, commercial with the Discover mm. card, and it, it, it hit it for me because anything Jennifer Coolidge usually hits for me I, with uh, you're not a robot. How can you prove you're not a robot? <laughs> yeah, that was funny. And, you know, it's funny because you feel like you're living that to some extent these days. Everything is AI this, AI that. I, I, I thought that was a good one. Um, that one hit for me, and it wasn't the biggest produced commercial, right? So, yeah. But I loved it. Yeah, that was right or right before the game, I think. That was uh, that was well done. Hey, one of the things that uh, we've been talking about is the fact that President Biden chose not to do a pre-Super Bowl interview. And look, you might understand it if you're him and the game was being broadcast on Fox. Maybe he doesn't want to sit down with somebody that he considers to be adversarial. But I don't think you could really say that about the news department at CBS News. What was your take on why President Biden chose to uh, skip the Super Bowl interview? you know, uh, the Super Bowl interview and talk to, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 million people. Well, here, here's what I'll say. I, I don't look into it. Maybe it wasn't his thing, wasn't on his agenda, wasn't a priority, which is silly because it's election year, as you pointed, and you have a mass ripe audience. But I think that associating his likeness with football and, and almost coming in between football would almost hurt him electorally when you're talking huh. about people wanting to get to the game and 
Here we go with the president. People are so exhausted and fatigued about politics. I think this was single-handedly one of the smartest moves his team politically really? did. Because it, it, it doesn't put the fatigue of the presidency in front of people wanting to get to their game. And I think it was a smart move for him, despite not being supportive of him. And quite frankly, if I were president of the United States, I wouldn't do it either. Because like I told you, I am a homosexual. I cannot comment on sports. <laughs> I would not comment on sports. Hey, so I didn't make a complete fool out of myself. One of the commercials that got a lot of attention was, a, and I've seen that we've seen this before. I don't know that we've seen it in a Super Bowl before, but was the commercial for Jesus, uh, all about how Jesus is encouraging this and encouraging that. Jesus seems to be everywhere this year. What did you make of the Jesus commercial? I thought that was odd, granted that we've never seen something of that likeness before, and it was uh, different. And I can't at least remember in in, in recent history or memory that we've had a a pro-religious commercial like that. Nothing against it. I thought it was definitely different. And it it speaks volumes to the type of audience that's really sitting down and watching and and the target audience of of these uh, types of commercials. So I think it it was interesting. But I got to say one thing before I completely forget. I never in my life thought that I would be rooting for Nancy Pelosi's team as So let's talk about the game itself. Obviously, it was a nail biter. Going only the second Super Bowl in history to go into overtime, and it didn't just go into overtime. Went down to the last thirty seconds. A very close game, very exciting finish. You were pulling for uh, San Francisco. What'd you make of the game itself, George? I got to tell you, uh, I think the San Francisco 49ers screwed up when, with six seconds left to the clock to end the game, they weakened and they were loosey with their defense, and they could have held six seconds, Frankie. Just think about that. And they allowed. Uh, uh, the Kansas Chiefs to score, which resulted to the overtime. But I got to give a shout out to Jake Moody. What record-setting kicks. Such a young dude. I think 24 years old. Hails from Michigan State. What a great athlete. What a great all-American hero he is. Great kicks. Great performance. To me, one of the best players in the game. I know, you know, not analyzing, but just giving my layman opinion of what a great athlete, great time to watch. What a great time to be alive and watch the Super Bowl. You know, Congressman, obviously I'm sure you're aware uh, that uh, there are, you know, when people were exposing different things that you might have exaggerated about, there was this whole chorus of people out there that claimed you weren't really homosexual. After listening to that very astute football analysis, I'm starting to think maybe there was something to that. Oh, dear God. Yeah, you should ask my husband how he feels about that. <laughs> hey, um, I, and I, I know it's a late night, and I appreciate you joining me. I have to ask you about this just because uh, while a lot of people watch the Super Bowl, for a lot of our audience, the real Super Bowl is Election Day, and it is special Election Day for your seat on Tuesday. The Democrats and Republicans have poured in millions. Polling shows this race super tight. The Democratic nominee, Tom Swazi is someone that you ran against yourself back in in uh, 2020 came very, very close to beating. That's when you sort of became uh, a rising star in New York GOP circles and really to some extent even nationally. And then obviously when he chose to run for governor, you took his seat and obviously the rest is history. Mozzie Pillup, she's a, a local elected official in Nassau County, registered Democrat but endorsed by the Republicans and the conservatives. First, uh, are you supporting Mozzie Pillup here? And second, irrespective of who you're supporting, do you ever prediction on how the race goes i'll put it this way um i don't support registered democrats so i have no support for anybody in the race 
Uh, on Tuesday, I will abstain in that vote. I am jaded enough that I've reserved the right to skip this election. That's number two. Number three, um, based on modeling from early voting, I know the Democrats are trying to count that they have a 6,000 voter, uh, early voter advantage on Mozzie, but they're not being truthful with you. They're just trying to create the sentiment of it's in the bag to discourage conservatives. Here's the reality of those 6,000 votes. The bulk of them are coming from the Great Neck Peninsula in NY3, where I won 79 percent of the vote there. And the majority of the people who voted in Great Neck were Democrats. And those Democrats, as I call them, are self-radicalized Democrats to the right because the, le- the Democrats have left them. So all those registered Democrats voting in Great Neck are voting Republican, especially because Mozzie is a, a resident of Great Neck. So when Tom Schwazi goes out there and says he's doing OK, it's going to be tight, he's lying. The reality is he's upside down on these numbers. The areas that should be pushing forward on good numbers are Castleberry, Westbury and Plainview. And they're underperforming, and especially when you have areas that Tom has never represented, like Massapequa, hmm. Levittown are in the mix this time around. He's up for a massive wake up call. And let's not forget Whitestone, baby. That is Trump country. That is MAGA country. We have Vicky Palladino as a councilwoman there. So for him to think it's the same Whitestone he left when he decided to go on his mission to run for governor, I think he has this wrong. And I think Mozzie takes it between five to seven wow. points, uh, of an election victory on Tuesday. Hey, uh, you know, on that note, I know you said you um, reserve your right not to vote. A couple of listeners, especially after hearing the last time you were on the program and they felt that you acquitted yourself, you know, really well, uh, a few listeners who live in the district actually said they're planning on writing you in on Tuesday. Is that something that you would be encouraging or discouraging of folks doing? How do you feel about people writing you in? I have said this months ago, uh, now for two months officially, I have been saying, please do not write me. And if you like me, you don't want, you don't wish this upon me. Second of all, it is throwing your vote away. And I speak to everybody who's listening. I understand the principal vote. I understand that you don't like the fact that your vote was recalled by politicians and your duly elected member was removed in an arbitrary way because of personality issues and because of politics. But if you want representation, you have two choices. You have Tom Swazi, which you rejected in the past and you voted for me to come in, or you can vote for Mozzie Pillip and give her a shot and hopefully she'll re-register as a Republican and she'll prove me wrong. But to write me in is a waste of your vote. I appreciate the love. There's many other ways we can work together and work together to continue to advance our conservative principles for the district. But please do not write me in on Tuesday, uh, February 13th. And just to give folks an update on uh, on your, your court issues, your court case, how are things going and when do you think there'll be a next step in that whole thing? Next step of the process, I'll be back there for a status conference on August 13th. And then we'll continue to go through the process. Hey, someone told me um, that uh, I should be careful when I talk to you because, oh, that George Santos, he's definitely cooperating with the feds. You got to be careful. Every conversation you have with him, it's going straight to the feds. Do I have to be careful talking to you? Well, I mean, now we're on the radio, but in general, are you cooperating? Here's the deal. There's so many conspiracies out there. I'm look. I. I'm not going to sit here and say anything other than people have a very, very interesting imagination. Uh, Like all these conspiracies out there, I'm cooperating, I'm wearing a wire, all of these things. 
Like, where do people get this information from, Frankie? That's just the reality. Like, are people really that bored and desperate that they just make things up from cloth? You got me. Uh, I still, uh, I'm not lying awake at night uh, that any of our conversations are being tape recorded. Congressman George Santos, cultural critic at large for the other side of midnight. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Frankie. You be well, sir. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation with respect to the uh, review of the national anthem, the halftime show, the post Malone edition of God Bless America, the uh, take on uh, the so-called black national anthem or the game itself, you're welcome to give me a call. 800-848-9222 or obviously the election that uh, a lot of people are very worked up about on Tuesday. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Singing Freebird. Uh, this is a birthday bumper music selection from a great listener of ours, Al DiGiulio, who also has a, a great charity that he started in honor of his son who passed away at a young age called Lyrics for Lucas. I've gone to uh, some of their events in the past before, and he is a great guy and does some great work uh, with that foundation, Lyrics for Lucas. And uh, he's apparently a very big Leonard Skinner fan. You know who else's birthday it is today? Our president. John Katsimatidis Jr. He uh, did not send me any birthday bumper music requests. I suppose he has better things to worry about and more important things to worry about. But we wish him a happy birthday nonetheless. Going to get to your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222 if you want to call in. There's uh, five open lines. But I do have to tell you, you know, we went to, on Saturday, I mentioned this, uh, that we were going to do this. We went to dinner at my brothers and it was nice so i got together with my four siblings two of you know my uh, sisters-in-law and my father and stepmother and obviously my wife and my son and it was the first time we were all together all year i think since christmas so it's nice that we you know could all get together we we do these quarterly dinners where a different morano sibling uh tries to host every quarter and food was great. Uh, had a very good time. Their apartment was a little hot. I wish, wish somebody would have cracked open the door a little air in, but it was a lot of fun. I realized when I got home on Saturday night, I left my keys at their apartment in Brooklyn. 
So we only have two for the car that my wife and I share. She was fortunate. She was kind enough to let me borrow hers to come to work today. But now in the wee hours in the morning after the show today, I have to go to Brooklyn and try to get that uh, the, the security guard to give me the the keys because I don't want to wake them up at that or that early in the morning. But I um, so that's what I'm going to do. It's not a major inconvenience, but it always goes to show you there's nothing that's ever totally drama free. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, to get gas in Manhattan is a big big. No, no. It's way overpriced. I mean, it's like three times the price of what it is anywhere else. So I'm wondering if I'll have enough gas to get there without stopping for gas. Brooklyn's a little more reasonable so because I'm running running awfully low. I'm waiting for all those Super Bowl winnings to kick in. One, uh, 200 bucks, by the way, in one of the pools that I was in. The same pool that I'm in that I won for the regular season won 200 bucks. I bought, I think I bought two... $50 boxes, so I wagered 100 and then I won 200 So the, the the person that runs the pool, she messaged me. She says, you always find a way to win. So I can use that to pay the um, speeding camera ticket that I got recently and the parking ticket that I got when I went to get a haircut recently. Lisa is in Connecticut. Hey there, Lisa. Oh, my gosh. you got to get Spot Hero, the app. That always saves you with the parking situation. You're right. And- if you need, uh, I could get seventy five dollars in cash. No, 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 no. I'm okay, Lisa. Thank you. <laughs> but what a game! Oh my golly, like riveting. It was like one one record uh, kick, and then another record kick, and then right down to overtime. Like wow, wild. It had you. It was a nail biter right to the end, right? Yeah, it really was. Who were you supporting? Well, you know, I always like to go with like. The people that are like sort of like the underdog or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of rooting for San Fran <laughs> just because, I don't know. I just felt like San Fran deserved a chance. Yeah, it would have been that. Exactly. You know I mean? Yeah. But um, it was a really cool game. You know, nothing against anything. I mean, I'm a Steelers fan. So, you know, whatever. I didn't really care who won either way. But it was kind of cool just to see, like, how it all played out, and they really fought to the end, and, and, and you know, hey, they did a great job. Absolutely. You know I mean? Hey, Lisa, show. Lisa, thank wow. you. Hey, did you win any money? No, I didn't bet. All right, good. Hey, you're the smartest one there is then, Lisa. Thank you. All right, 800-848-9222. Until next hour, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority PriorityGoldGuide.com This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
One of the things that I was surprised that uh, George Santos disagreed with me on is the decision by President Biden not to do a Super Bowl interview. Because what Santos said is pretty much what Biden said, which is that, look, the game, you know, this interview used to be kind of lighthearted and about sports. Now it's become very political. We see so much politics. People need a break. I disagree. I think the tradition of a presidential Super Bowl interview was is a good one. And I think it's interesting. I think it's a great opportunity to give people that may not typically pay attention to election issues an opportunity to hear what the president is doing, or at least their spin on what they're doing. And what I had said on Thursday morning was that I think the reason that President Biden wasn't doing it was because either he or his staff isn't comfortable with how he'd come across during one of these interviews. No less an authority than James Carville, the raging Cajun, Democratic strategist, man who helped get Bill Clinton elected back in 1992. He agreed with me. He was on uh, Michael Smirconish's CNN show on Saturday. This is what James Carville said. Well, when you don't accept a Super Bowl interview, you, you're, I don't know, pulling averages, you're three points down in a two-way. Uh, it's the biggest television audience, not even close. And you get a chance to do a 20, 25-minute interview on that day, and you don't do it, that's a kind of sign that the staff or yourself doesn't have much confidence in you. There's no other way to read this. He's exactly right. I think that's the only way to read this. And I think those concerns became much more pronounced Thursday night after this uh, Robert Herr report was released in which it basically said one of the key reasons they weren't prosecuting President Biden is because they don't think he, you know, is capable of demonstrating that he had criminal intent, that he would come across to the jury as an elderly man, uh, well-meaning but with poor memory. And, you know, like if someone is too senile, and he did not use the word senile, I'm paraphrasing, but if someone is too senile to stand trial, are they really competent enough to be president? Now, some people may say yes. Being president's not about having a good memory. Some people may say, and look, uh, President Trump, as uh, you know, he's pushing eighty-two. We've seen several instances of his memory fading as well. I, I think whatever you think about Trump's memory, there's no doubt he certainly has a much greater energy than President Biden has seemed to have in his public appearances, but. You know, both of these men have demonstrated some serious memory lapses. How much is due to age? How much is due to some other force? How much is due to the rigors of the campaign trail? I don't know. That's why a Super Bowl interview in which President Biden came across well could put some of these concerns to rest. Paul Begala, who was a big part of that 1992 Bill Clinton campaign as well, and now he's a CNN contributor, he talked about, and now he, again, he's a big Biden supporter prominent Democratic strategist, he talked about his reaction to that Robert Herr report and what they said about President Biden's mental faculties. Look, uh, I'm a Biden supporter, I, I, and I slept like a baby last night. I woke up every two hours crying and went to bed. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is terrible for Democrats, and anybody with a functioning brain knows that. Uh, somebody that, uh, that I do know pretty well, not pretty well, but I, I have watched his career pretty well, 
is Ellie Honig. I first met Ellie Honig when he was a, an assistant U.S. attorney. He's prosecuting John Gotti Jr. By the way, some news on the John Gotti Jr. front as well, if the time, if time permits. I'll talk about that. But now he's a prominent legal analyst for CNN. This is what he had to say about the legal aspect of the her exoneration of President Not Biden. Not at all, Michael. I respectfully take issue with the use of the word exoneration. And exoneration means somebody has been cleared of any wrongdoing. Think about, for example, the Central Park Five, people who were falsely accused of a crime they had nothing to do with. This report is more like an inch away from an indictment if you look at it. And you highlighted the key passage in your opening there. The third sentence of this report says essentially, the evidence showed that Joe Biden willfully retained and disclosed classified documents. There is a federal crime for willfully retaining sensitive national defense information. And if that rings a bell, it's because Donald Trump is charged, indicted for 32 counts of that exact federal crime. But what her does, and this is fair for prosecutors to do, is he says, we need to look at the other factors around this. And he says that in his judgment, that mitigates against an indictment. That's called prosecutorial discretion. And there's perhaps some debate about how he exercised that. But that's why he comes out at no indictment. So I really do think it's at this point, I don't see President Biden staying in this race. I don't. I don't. And I think there's if you listen to what people are saying loudly now, it used to be the, just them whispering about it. There is very little confidence. And that press conference that President Biden gave on Thursday night, which I guess was supposed to reinstill confidence in in him. I think it did the opposite. He looked um, unhinged. He looked angry. And he again was having a lot of difficult trouble with words and other things. He snapped at the CNN reporter and used the word press when he meant to say people. He seemed not at all to be cool, calm, and collected. And I think, if anything, it reinvigorated concerns that people have about his cognitive abilities. Daryl Issa was on the Cats and Cosby radio show on Thursday night talking about what he thinks this report means for the presidency and the nation. First of all, I think it's sad for the president's family, and it's uh, it's sad for America at the same time. Uh, we've had three years of a president so diminished that not only does he not know about his crimes, um, but he doesn't, as was stated, he doesn't know about his son and other leaders. And he's been going around the world meeting with global leaders who all see that. Uh, even uh, our former speaker, Kevin McCarthy, had said early on that, uh, you know, he was he had good days and bad days. And he said his good days aren't good. Uh, and he was one of the few that got to meet with the president at all. He's been isolated. So, you know, I heard the discussion about the 25th Amendment. Uh, it's really too late for that. The damage has been done. I I don't know when, but I can't see President Biden running as a Democratic nominee this year. Cannot see it. And when I've talked to my friends that are Democrats, the question always inevitably becomes, well, then who would run? And I give this long list of people that would be happy to come step into the breach. And there's always someone on that list that some Democrat will say, oh, yeah, oh, I'm excited about that person. That person would be a great candidate. There's no excitement about President Biden. The only enthusiasm that I see in voting for President Biden is people that don't like Trump. And if you listen to uh, – because I read more of this Robert Herr report on uh, on Saturday. 
If you listen to the interviews that Biden, President Biden, was doing with the ghostwriter, he knew this was classified material and he took it intentionally. Right. This was not a situation where what it's kind of seemed inadvertent at first. No. I mean, if you listen to the conversations or read the transcripts of the conversations with the ghostwriter, he's saying that the, the there's classified information downstairs and that will bear him out. That will prove him to be right on Afghanistan. So he understood what he was doing at I mean, at the time. I mean, I'm not questioning Robert Hur's decision not to indict but it's a it is a very damning report both for his actions and for what what Robert Hur says of his memory so i think it's going to be um a matter of time before he's replaced now let's say he's not let's say it is indeed a Biden versus Trump rematch which at this point seems the most likely scenario right okay if that's the case Given how polarizing President Trump is and the very real concerns that people have about President Biden, I think this is the best election since 1912 for a third party candidate. I don't know who will kind of take the top spot as the lead none of the above candidate, but I suspect there's a good chance it might be Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who I kind of like. I'm not ready to vote for or endorse him yet, but if the election were held today, I could see myself voting for him. And I was really interested in watching the Super Bowl yesterday, and they had, it was the only political ad they had, there was a Robert F. Kennedy Jr. ad. It was not paid for by his campaign, but it was paid for by his super PAC, American Values, American Values, which is headed by Tony Lyons from Skyhorse Publishing, who's been a guest on this program multiple times. He came in studio recently when he took over this, this role and sat with me for an hour to talk about what he was doing, why he was doing it. I wish he'd run some ads on this program, but okay, we're not the Super Bowl, not yet anyway. And I thought it was really interesting. So there's a, a visual component to it and there's an audio component to it. The visual component is a bunch of black and white photos of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. in action, uh, doing governmental things, giving speeches, being activist, but they look like they could be from 1960. And then, so it's just a bunch of rapid fire. I don't even think it was a 30-second ad. It might have been only a 15-second ad. But it's a bunch of rapid fire photographs of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And then, this is the audio that you hear while you're seeing these photos. want a man for president who's seasoned through and through a man who's old enough to know and young enough to do well it's up to you it's up to you it's strictly up to you american value 2024 is responsible for the content of this advertisement that was a 30 second spot so based on what they were saying a 30 second spot was going for that was seven million dollars that the super PAC spent on this that's an enormous amount of money an enormous amount of money and i do wonder how effective that's going to be in moving the needle. None of the other candidates had ads on the Super Bowl. And I wonder if this is going to help him. You know, because honestly, the Super Bowl is the one thing that everybody watches, including people that don't vote. And is this going to be playing on that nostalgia, particularly with older voters? Is this going to be helpful 
in getting voters to take Robert F. Kennedy Jr. serious as a as a candidate? I don't know. I think it's very interesting. I've never seen, I don't think there's ever been, a third party or independent candidate that's run a Super Bowl ad before. And that way in which they did it, where they ran it, mimicking a 1960 JFK ad, I thought was really interesting. If you're not familiar with that ad, this is an ad from 1960, John F. Kennedy for president. Kennedy for me. For president who's seasoned through and through But that's a doggone season that he won't try something new A man who's old enough to know And young enough to do Well, it's up to you, it's up to you It's strictly up to you Do you like a man who answers straight? A man who's always fair We'll measure him against the others And when you compare You'll cast your vote for Kennedy And the change that's overdue So it's up to you so as you can hear, it really is the same song. The only difference is the original spot was a minute, whereas the RFK Jr. version that uh, we played for you was 30 seconds. So they used a condensed version of this song. And then the disclaimer at the end, American Values is responsible for the God of the Zen. They had kind of an announcer with an old-timey effect on his voice be the recording. Is that going to work? I don't know. I don't know, but I thought it was really interesting. So... um, I, you got to give them credit for trying out of the box things. I'm curious, you know. I look, I would, I my whole life I've worked towards this. I'd love to see America be a vibrant multi party democracy. Failing that, I'd love to see America have a third major choice in every election. Unfortunately, um, since I've been working to make that a reality, we've actually fallen backwards. Because now we're not just in a choice where people have two choices. We're not just in a position where people only have two choices. Increasingly, at the congressional and the state legislative level, we're in a point where people are living in one-party districts. One-party districts where there's not even major party opposition in a lot of the case. Obviously, in the presidency, there's always major party opposition. And I think it would be great if people didn't have this feeling that they were throwing their vote away by voting for a third-party candidate, which is one of the many reasons I've always been an advocate for ranked-choice voting long before it was fashionable. All right, uh, Robert Wall is going to be here in just a minute. You know who Robert Wall is? Robert Wall is probably best known from the uh, TV series Arliss, but he's done a lot of movies and stuff over the years. Batman, um, Bull Durham, if you're a, a fan of baseball movies, done a lot of great sports movies over the years. But the interesting thing about Robert Wall is, one, he's very funny. He's been a, a comedian and done some other things. But he knows more about sports than anybody I've ever spoken to. I'm not joking here, and you'll see and you'll judge for yourself. But this is not an actor who's commenting on sports. This is a sports fanatic that happens to be an actor. So we covered the halftime show and the commercials with George Santos. We will cover uh, the game itself with Robert Wall straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Everybody is still talking about that barn burner of a game yesterday. The big game, the Super Bowl, the granddaddy of all pop cultural events, the granddaddy of all sporting events. And there is nobody that I would rather talk Super Bowl or anything sports related with than Robert Wall. Now, I know what a lot of you are saying. Isn't that the guy from Arliss? Isn't that the guy from Bull Durham? Frank, don't be foolish just because he played role having to do with sports that doesn't make him an expert in sports any more than it makes Al Pacino an expert in the mob or Clint Eastwood an expert in the Old West. That's not the case when it comes to Robert Wall. I have heard Robert Wall not only on this program, but when he was doing his own nationally syndicated radio show on uh, Westwood One, give the most insightful Interesting analysis when it comes to all things related to sports, but he's able to make it very understandable for people that may not be listening to sports radio 20 hours a day. And he's always able to come up with something original, which when you do consume all this sports related content, a lot of times that becomes a uh, difficult thing to find. So very pleased to welcome back to the program, actor, comedian, writer, and the person probably best known for the HBO series Arliss, which you you can now watch all of the episodes on Max. And this is one of the few shows that, well, I don't know, one of the few. It's one of the shows that holds up just as well now as when it debuted a few decades ago. Robert, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Uh, it's a shame the game was so boring, huh? How do I follow that introduction? My God, thank you. I mean, I appreciate it. Great game. Wasn't that, isn't it nice to actually have a piece of entertainment, and let's call it a piece of entertainment, where you go to see the blockbuster, the big event of the year, and it's just, a, you walk out of the theater saying, that was worth the money. <laughs> right. You know, it, it's like, that was a good story. It's not a Tyson you know, fight ending in 43 seconds that you paid $50 no, for. And, and there's really no GOAT, per se, in the game. Uh, there really is. The guy missed an extra point, but then he kicked two 50-yard field goals. And, then he, and, and by the way, both times he left the field, as with Purdy, you know, people are going to say about Purdy, all I know is that when he left the field at the fourth quarter, after driving his team down the field for, for a score, they, were, they had won the game. The defense right. gave it up on the last drive. In overtime, when he drove, he drove his team down the field for the go-ahead in overtime. And again, the defense did it. So when he left the field both times, he was a Super Bowl champion. Mm, mm. Did you have a rooting interest one way or another? Were you pulling for San Francisco or Kansas City? I uh, I, I didn't have that. Here's the, my, my sister who died two years ago oh. was a Kansas City Chiefs fan. She loved Patrick Mahomes, as she was called. She, so I, that's, that's one thing. On the other hand, I really, really like San Francisco's narrative a lot. The fact on two levels. One is the whole Purdy story is quite remarkable if you think about it. Here's a guy 
who, but who we all know the story about him being the last pick in the draft. But what most people don't know is that this was a failure of scouts and of group think about what a quarterback looks like because he was, uh, you know, Brock Purdy when he was a junior and a senior was senior was the first team All Big Twelve quarterback both years. You know, you'd think somebody would have taken a flyer on a guy like this right. in the fifth round, the sixth, instead of picking a cornerback from Alcorn A&M. You know, you can take a side. I mean, a guy's a two-time, you know, it's like they he didn't, he didn't fit their profile. But the narrative is great. And above that, when I say the narrative is great, how many organizations, and let's talk about the one, the one that uh, we could basically point to the Jets, and the Giants to a lesser degree, but the Jets for sure. But how many organizations would have traded up as they did and gave away about three first-round draft choices to draft Trey Lance as the quarterback about three years ago and finally within two years come to the conclusion that we got a guy we got here in the last round, we're going to go with him. And the coach is beyond it and the front office is behind it. That takes balls. That You didn't see – you ain't seen that happen in New York. You know, you're not. I mean, to uh, you see the, the opposite. Guy, the opposite happening in New York, right? Exactly. So the fact that the organization could admit a mistake, the fact that you have an organiz- a very public organization, admit, admit a mistake on top of having this great narrative about the kid. So I love that, and I don't want to hear that they can't win the big one. Well, you know, again, if at the end of regulation. One second left on the clock or whatever. When they go to kick the field goal. If the guy misses the field goal, they won the big one. You know, it's like, if the guy missed the field goal, they won the big right, one. Right, exactly. It's so happen chance, you know. Um, anyway, but I thought it was incredibly entertaining. The stars, um, I, I just thought it was a really good game. No, no penalty, you know, made a, you know, there was no totally egregious call that changed the outcome. Uh, very entertaining. Uh, no doubt about it. First of all, I'm sorry about your uh, sister passing away. I didn't know that. Um, just in terms of the game itself, do you think it was a mistake? Obviously, people are going to be second-guessing every decision because it was such a close game and it did come down uh, to the last 30, 40 seconds or so. Was it a mistake for San Francisco to take the ball first in overtime? Obviously, the playoff rules now are each team gets the ball, even if you score on the first possession. Would that have changed anything? Why? Why was and, and the reason being it being a mistake was why? Well, I, I you know, I, I don't know. I, I uh, my uh, uh, my inbox is flooded with uh, a chorus of critics second guessing every uh, you know every selection. I guess you know the thinking is, um, and I guess a lot of college teams do this that you when the other team gets the ball first, even if they score, you kind of know what you need to do on that drive. Whereas you know, I mean, maybe they would have done something differently other than the field goal had they uh, gotten had they chosen to kick instead of receive i'm just asking you the question you're the expert here um let's take okay let me pose another part to the answer then i've just watched my defense just give up on the last i had we had the super bowl one and i watched our defense just fall apart in the last two two minutes and allow the team to come down and tie me up and we're fortunate we didn't lose they're gassed they're gas right. I see. Mm-hmm. So let, I want my offense, which then went down the field and took about 10 minutes off the clock, 
right, and put you in a position to succeed. Okay, so now we're ahead three points. Okay, defense, you've just had 15 minutes of rest. Go there and stop them when we're Super Bowl champions. They didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, talking with Robert Wall, uh, you could still see Arliss if you're getting nostalgic hearing his voice. It's on uh, HBO Max regularly. Pat Mahomes uh, leading the Chiefs to the second consecutive quarterback. Chiefs are now the first uh, team to repeat in a couple of decades. Mahomes with, uh, I, I believe, now three world, uh, three Super Bowl championships, joining the likes of uh, people like Troy Aikman, Terry Bradshaw, and obviously uh, Tom Brady. There are already folks, you, you mentioned there was not a, a GOAT, but there are already folks mentioning Pat Mahomes in the same kind of a category as a Joe Montana or uh, an Aaron Rodgers. Is that is that a little premature at this point, or is that merited? Well, if I was Patrick Mahomes, if somebody put, I'd be insulted if you, if you had Aaron Rodgers it's like on my side. Aaron Rodgers can't shine the shoes of, uh, of Patrick. Aaron Rodgers has been to one Super Bowl. One. One. And, and winning a division that and he and kicking he's only been one, which means only won that championship game. And by winning a division every year that made the Jets, made the AFC East look tough. <laughs> I mean, I mean that division that he was in. Well, so putting aside the putting aside Aaron the Rodgers, Rodgers comparison, Aaron Rodgers is the, he's a Hall of Famer, no doubt. He's a Hall of Famer. But don't compare him to the all-time. He's not in the top ten of quarterbacks. So, so what about Pat Mahomes? Where do you think he ranks in the pantheon of great quarterbacks? Right now, I mean, he right now you're watching as good as it gets. I mean, you still you have you got to put Brady on because it's a number of championships. I would think, and a guy like Otto Graham, you know, but, but he's got three already. He's been to the place. He's been to four and five. It's of incredible. It's absolutely so, incredible. I mean, he is. He's special. I mean, he's really special. Where do you put him? You can put him as the best quarterback in football. That's where he is. He's a he's a hall of he's, he's a hall of famer now. But by the way, you know how hard it is to repeat. You just saw this is the first time back to back, and I mean in any sports. Do you know the last National League team that repeated as World Series champions? Uh, you, you got me. Was it was it the uh, the Philadelphia Phillies in, in the in the thirties? I don't know. The, Cubs? the Cincinnati Red, the big Cincinnati Red machine. What was that seventy four, seventy five? Uh huh. That's fifty years ago. Wow. Uh, no, it, it's that's I, how hard it is to repeat. Wow, that's tough. I mean, that's a, I mean, until the Mets do it in the next two years. Oh my goodness! I, I, I please, uh, yeah. I, uh, the devil is uh, getting ready to collect a whole bunch of souls in order to make that dream come true. Hey, um, what about Andy Reid? Obviously, you know, when you did your radio show, uh, one of the favorite hours that I uh, that I ever listened to, not just on your show but in general, was when you had uh, Dan Luria and Judith Light from uh, the show Lombardi in for an hour or two, and you talked not only about the show that they were doing, but about Vince Lombardi. and about, uh, yeah, you, you and Dan Loria both had a, a lot of really interesting insights. I don't think most people question that Vince Lombardi is the greatest coach of all time, even if Don Shula has more wins. Andy Reid, after this, where do you put him on the list of great NFL coaches of all time? Well, he's definitely up there. But here's the thing. Here's the thing when you, you talked about coaches. They're all Hall of Fame coaches. Do you know, out of, I think, the 30 or so Hall of Fame coaches in the NFL, NFL Hall of Fame. Do you know how many of them didn't have a Hall of Fame quarterback? I'm I'm going to, my guess would be zero. Uh, Three or four. Mm. Parcells didn't have one. Joe Gibbs didn't have one. 
I think Sid Gilman, believe it or not, didn't have one. There's more, somebody else. So, I mean, how do you become a Hall of Fame coach? Have a Hall of Fame coach. <laughs> Shula, Don Shula had three of them. He had Marino, Greasy, and, um, and Unitas. I mean, you know, stop it. That, you, know, you won't have a Hall of Fame coach. But, which brings me to this point. Do you know what, what is Bill Belichick's record without uh, Tom we, Brady? It, it's very weak, uh, which is why, and I was going to ask you about this, it's why I think he has to come back and coach and find a, a way to show that he can win with a quarterback not named Brady. Well, he wants to coach because he wants to coach. And mm. it's like directing movies. You want to direct a movie because you want to get out there and be a director. Uh, that's what you do. Um, but, you know, the Brady has a – whereas – where do I put him? Well, the most underappreciated coach, in, I will argue, is uh, Joe Gibbs. Joe Gibbs, just told you that number, Joe Gibbs won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. That's, yeah. none, of whom, wow. none of whom were in the Hall of Fame. I didn't realize That's that. That's pretty remarkable. Every other, every one of these guys, uh, you know, who won, they had, like I said, without the, the couple of I mentioned, they've had Hall of Fame quarterbacks. They've all had Hall of Fame without a Hall of Fame quarterback. You know, it's like that quarterbacks too. If you saw the quarterback, partly the reason this game was terrific, we had really good quarterbacks. No doubt play. about it. No doubt about it. Um, you know, by now I think people are listening and they're seeing that I wa- it wasn't hyperbole me uh, talking about how insightful you are when it comes to sports. You have been in a lot of sports roles over the years. Obviously, uh, Arliss and you know I mentioned Bull Durham. How did that happen? Did it just happen by coincidence that you happen to be associated with sports-related projects, or did you seek out, in the case of Bull Durham, and obviously I know you had more of a creative input when it came to Arliss, did you seek out the opportunity to play characters that showcased areas of life, in this case sports, that you're interested in? Uh, it really no. My agent put me up for an audition for Bull Durham, and if you and if and if. Uh, I would strongly, strongly suggest and recommend Ron Shelton's book, The Church of Baseball, uh, which is one of the best books, both about uh, being an athlete and, and about screenwriting, about sports and playing baseball, and about screenwriting and directing and, and the storytelling of how everything got made and really? what happened. Oh, so one, and he talks about my audition for Bull Durham, which uh, let's just say I was all over the place. And after it was over, he said, that's the worst audition I've ever seen. Hire him him immediately. Um, And then we shared this love of baseball. So so we became close friends, and and that's how the idea for Cobb, because we both knew the story and knew the source material. And uh, and Arliss was – that was that was my idea. Sure. You know, so that that was my – so – and it was a world I knew. It was a world. I had two worlds that I knew. One is I knew a little. I knew about you know the business of sports world, and my family had a business, family business, so a totally different business, produce. But I saw how a business runs and how decisions get made in a business. So uh, I mean, a private business too. It wasn't a public business. So that had those two loves uh, involved there. Uh, blue chips again came because I. Um, because Ron Shelton had written the movie, and I was at a reading with uh, with Bill Friedkin, uh, the director who just passed, and uh, the reading went just as a favor. And afterwards, he came up and said, "I'm watching the movie." I said, "Sure." 
I, lo- know, I love that film, Blue Chips, and it's one that I don't think has uh, gets its just due when uh, a lot of the great sports movies, especially collegiate sports, are being uh, are being talked about. Um, by the way, obviously, I know you're proud of the work that you've done with Arliss and the fact that people are still watching it on Max um, decades after it's been off the air is telling about what a great show it is. I do wonder, you've done a lot, right? You've done a lot on camera, you've done a lot on stage, you've done a lot behind the scenes. I have to think, every day of your life, when you're walking down the street, someone shouts to you, hey, Arliss. Does that get grating at times? Very rarely ever has. It, I, I, can, I, can, on, on, on a, I can count. Arliss is not, unless I am at a sporting event. Uh-huh, okay. Because it was on HBO. It's not a network show. It was on HBO. What I do get was much more is uh, is uh, I have a, the first one we ever did is a movie called The Hollywood Nights, and it's become a cult movie. It was sort of like American Graffiti meets uh, okay American American Graffiti meets Animal House type of thing about a car club, and it has become such a cult that I played the ringleader of the group, a character named Newbom Turk. And that I get called. Okay. Really? Hey, new wow. bomb. That's why. Yeah, that I get. I'll tell you who gave it to me. One time I was at Yankee Stadium. I forgot whose seats I'm in. And what was the governor of New Jersey's name? He's the guy who took over from somebody. Oh, Dick Cody. Yeah, yeah, that's him. He he comes over. I'm sitting there with his two buddies, and hey, new bomb. No, this is new bomb. By the way, new bombs. This is this the new bombs claim to fame was that he could fart to the song Volare. Okay, so hey, this is new bomb. What a what a pisser. You know, it's like I, I mean, I, I kept thinking this is the governor. Okay. And all I could think, all I could think, it was Mel Brooks and Blazing Saddles when he's the governor. You yeah, go, go, William J. Lepetamine. Yes, that's, uh, yeah. that, that's well, terrific. That's <laughs> so I get stopped more for that. That's funny. I would never have guessed that. I I, uh, I know Dick Cody a little bit. Next time I run into him, I'm gonna I'm gonna share that uh, anecdote. Yes, I, yes, please. He was lovely. He he's was a great guy. A great guy. Yeah. He just retired uh, from the state senate, but he's still in the funeral parlor business. Uh, interestingly enough, hey, um, I saw that your your nemesis. Ben Affleck is getting rave reviews for the Dunkin' Donuts commercial that he was in uh, during the game. Uh, what did you think of that Dunkin' Donuts commercial with him and Matt Damon and uh, Tom Brady and Jennifer Lopez? I didn't see it. I think I grabbed something to eat or I went to the bathroom. I didn't see it. No, it's a very diplomatic uh, di- diplomatic response given given your history. The fact that he clearly is very bothered that you made a joke about him once many years ago. It, 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 it is a bit of an overreaction. I, I always thought. Uh, I, I, I really thought. No. You know, what, what was funny is he went on the Howard Stern show and talked about it, and he said, I was at a low point. A low point. He had just made three bombs that he probably made $20 million off. Okay? So, <laughs> and he goes, and, and I watched this made for, you know, I was on an airplane, I see this uh, piece say it's a history class. I did a little monologue thing for a history class in front of and real NYU students, and they made a joke about Gili or something, which is not, I'm just giving. They did a Ben Affleck punchline that the audience loved, and he says, and I thought, oh, this is the low point. You know, here I am watching this made for airplane piece, and they're making jokes about me. And I said, said boy, this guy really thinks, because first of all, it was an HBO documentary, and it was directed by the, the late, great, what's his, the P, the guy who did the War Room, and he did... Oh, uh, R.J. Cutler, R.J. Cutler. No, 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 no
Penny Baker, D.A. Penny uh, Baker. You know, he did the Bob Dylan, No Way. Sure, sure, oh, sure. Great stuff. So he directed it. It got nominated for the. But then he said, he goes, boy, he goes, plus, I mean, he was punching down. Yeah, I don't like. I'm, and I thought to myself, in what world <laughs> would Robert Wall be punching down to Ben Affleck? <laughs> Uh, in what in what universe? That's very. <laughs> I, I said, I, really, really. Okay, you know, I'm sorry. You know, really. So, by the way, he is a very good director. I cannot take that away. He is an excellent director. I don't want to. Absolutely. And by the way, people haven't seen uh, that uh, that documentary. It's really interesting and it's a really great take on what people know uh, about American history. It's called Assume the Position with uh, Mr. Wall. It's uh, really I well done. I think that's on Max also. It I is. It, it, is I, it is indeed, actually. I just checked while we're, while we're talking. It is on Max and people should check it out after they finish uh, binging Arliss. Hey, um, one of the things that we've seen this year is that of the 100 most highest rated television events over the past year, 90 Ninety-three of them were NFL games. The one thing that is clearly working when it comes to television ratings is football. Obviously, people have always liked football, but it seems like there's been a tremendous resurgence of interest in watching these games over the last two years. What do you attribute that to? Some people have said it's sports gambling and the legalization. Other people have said it's uh, folks being fed up with uh, what's going on in the news. Do you have a take? I think both of those are pretty good, actually. I think, remember, sports, but that's why the networks and will pay, and the media companies will pay outlandish sums for sporting events because it's it's one of the few things that you don't know how it's going to end. You know, it, you, you can't, you know, you watch a TV show, how it's going to end. Right. You, can, you watch anything, any TV, you know, you, you know, you know, Blue Bloods is one of my favorite shows, but I know how it's going to end every week, you know, so... Uh, you know, so sports, you don't. It's one of the few things you don't. And then, yes, sports gambling, DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM. I mean, it, it, it's, yeah, gambling, of course. Of course. You know, um, last time we spoke, it was right before the Major League Baseball was rolling out all these new rules. Now, not only do they have the uh, universal DH in both leagues, you got the pitch clock, you have the ghost runner on second base. Now that the baseball fans, and and I guess now that it's February, pitchers and catchers are going to be reporting to spring training soon. A lot of us that are diehard baseball fans, our mind immediately goes post-Super Bowl into baseball mode. Uh, Now that the fans have had some time to sit with the these rules for a season, see how they've worked out. What do you think? How do you think the rule changes in Major League Baseball have worked out? I think every one of them has been great. Every single one. Even the ghost runner? Yeah, I'll tell you why. Nobody wants extra innings. Nobody does. The networks don't want it because it, they have to, it goes over and they have to give, give backs for money and advertising for other shows. The announcers don't want it. They want to go home. The managers don't want it because a 15-inning game can throw, can throw his, uh, pitching, his staff. pitching staff yeah. out for a week, right? The people who work the operations of the stadium don't want it. they got to hang out. Concessionaires are already gone, so they, uh, the, uh, the people who work your parking lots don't want it. They have to work later. Nobody, and nobody wants it. Actually, and especially who doesn't want to watch it is the fans. They'll tell you this BS, but the fact of the matter is viewership goes down during extra innings, Hmm. and the next time you say, oh, you watch a 15-inning game, and you see how many fans are in the the stand. You can count them on a hand, 
Nobody wants extra innings. So you want to play the one inning in the postseason? One or two? Okay, but nobody wants it. What, what, what would make this season so great? There was action. There was action going on. You had to put the ball, you get throw the ball. I love every one of them. Uh, let me end with this because we're also in uh, award show season as well. People may not know this about you, but uh, you've written or co-written the Academy Awards telecast several times. I think you've won a couple of Emmys for doing that. Where SAG Awards are coming up, and obviously the Academy Awards are right around the corner. You know, what, this is one of those things where obviously people know that the uh, host or the presenters are telling jokes. I, I think they assume someone writes them, but I don't think most people who are not in the business of of this kind of thing think about the production that goes into writing and producing something like the academy awards telecast how much of a challenge is that is it something that is incredibly difficult is it something that's very easy is it something that's in between you know it's funny that's the first time in all the years that's the first time somebody has asked me about what goes into the production of the telecast hmm. You know, no one ever, if they talk about winners and losers, they right, talk about the right. monologues, talk, talk about everything else or who's saying what, what, but they didn't ask about what goes into the production of the telecast. Uh, it's big. It's really big. There's a lot of people going there. You know, here's the thing about when I was writing on the Oscars. You, we do so many things in our, in my business, not any business, perhaps, especially a creative thing, where most of your work is never seen. You know, you can make a movie and it bombs in a week, or even if it doesn't matter, it, it's not seen, it doesn't get released. Uh, you might do some theater in a couple, but, you know, but most of your work is never really seen by, if you're lucky to have a hit, like I had Batman, okay? So that's something, but most of the time it's not seen. You know when you're working on the Academy Awards, at least back then, the next day, you're gonna, people are going to be talking about it. Right. You know, right. Win, lose, or draw. Win, lose, or draw. Oh, yeah. The, uh, now, the other thing what goes into it, first of all, we were, I was very fortunate to have the producer then was a guy named Gil Cates, a great guy, theater director and a great producer, uh, Gil Cates, who was the uncle of Phoebe Cates, the actress married to Kevin Collins. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. And again, I was working with Billy Crystal. So, you know, it was Billy's first time doing it. And it was just the two of us. Um, there's going to be an, I don't want to leak anything, but there's going to be a, an article in the New York Times, I think this week, uh, about writing for the Academy Awards with the host and the different things you have to deal with. Uh, but the, not, that's a different story. That's the writing of the awards. The production is something else because you've got to figure out who's presenting, who's presenting with whom, where are they putting the people in the audience, who's on what camera, what do you got to be prepared for, where are the film packages, is the in-memoriam segment locked yet? Is You know, there's so many different things. Uh, going on. But when Billy and I did it, it was just, they had three guys writing the straight part of the show, the presenter stuff, but it was just me and Billy. That was it. It was just, I just thought they now have 21 writers this year. Wow. And and I don't know that you could say that the entertainment, I mean, we'll see what happens this year and I hope it's great, but I don't think now compared to 1990 or 1991, you could say that it is 24 or 21 times better than it was just uh, when it was just uh, the two of you. So uh, that is interesting. Uh, Robert, I really always enjoy chatting with you. Thank you so much for the insight on the game and uh, being willing to stroll down memory lane on some of this other stuff. Appreciate it. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Had a great time. It was good to have missed, missed you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. 
The Other Side of Midnight. This is The Other Side of Midnight. These are the Bee Gees. Uh, love, love, love the Bee Gees. Uh, one hit after another. I mean, that's a halftime show that I'd be into, the Bee Gees. All right. Hey, uh, we're going to get back to your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. That's uh, 800-848-9222. So we're in, we're in church yesterday. We try to go, you know, whenever we can. And the, you know, it's always tough with my son who's two years old because he doesn't always have the attention span to sit through a church service. So sometimes he likes to run around. Sometimes he likes to make noise. And there, so either my wife or me will have to entertain him if he gets bored at times. You know what it's like if you've had a child in, uh, in church. So one of the things I like about our church is they have a corner that's meant to be a kid's corner. And there's toys in there, and we bring some of our own toys. There's a coloring book in there. And so sometimes if Carmine will get, is getting bored with some of the, you know, one of the sermons or something, either myself or my wife will go in the corner there with him and we'll play for a few minutes. And then after he's gotten a few minutes of energy out, we'll go back and sit in the main section and nobody really seems to mind. I, I think because the congregation, for the most part, is so old that they like, and they've told us this, they like seeing you know young people there. And even if the young person is two years old, they view that as kind of the future of the uh, of the church. So anyway, yesterday, I uh, I'm in the main section. My wife takes Carmine into the corner to play with the, his cars. My wife comes back to me about 10, 15 minutes into the service, and she said this woman who also had a baby, looked like she had a a child, about three years old, and I was happy to see that because a lot of times we don't see anyone else his age. Today was a little, or yesterday was a little different because there was also a baptism there, so there were, you know, one or two more younger people. So my wife turns to me and says, this woman who's here with me is in the wrong church, she doesn't speak any English. The other church, she walked here. She doesn't have a car. I'm going to drive her to the other church. It's two minutes away. Can you stay here and watch Carmine? So, sure. And immediately, as soon as she walks out the door, he starts crying. 
Shocking. Starts crying. And so I pick him up. I said, okay, bud, do you want to you go for a little walk outside? Yes. Okay, we go for a little walk outside, and there's a, there's, some, uh, there's a graveyard out there, but with some very ornate tombstones and um, other, other memorials. And he'll, he'll say, let's go see Jesus. Let's go see Jesus. Now, he calls Mary's statue, he calls it Jesus for whatever reason. So I, I, I guess m- myself or my wife has told him that it was Jesus' mom. So we go and see Mary, and we're out there a few minutes, and he's calmed down, and he's cool. I said, do you want to go in and see the baby be baptized? And then we go in, we see the baby be baptized, and he was fine. So anyway, my wife comes back, and this woman spoke no English, no English. And she said, she pointed to an address or a name on her phone to my wife, and she said, a key, a key, meaning is this here, is this here? No, it's not. It's a wrong church. It was nearby, but my wife drove her, and she was very, um, you know, very uh, grateful to my wife because she didn't speak the language. Turns out she is a migrant living in a migrant shelter and was totally confused about where to go, Uh, but I thought that was nice that my wife went out of her way to help this lady and uh, get her to where she needed to go. And it turns out she has a, a second small child, and uh, she's going to drop off some of Carmine's older stuff for him today. So um, I imagine we're going to be seeing more of this, more migrants that are in our area. I think this is going to become a common occurrence. Your influence counts. Use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, the voice of Overnight America, the voice of the insomniacs, the man who has kept more people up from coast to coast than bad Mexican food. And uh, very pleased, one of the more, one of the newest stations that we've added to our ever-growing list of affiliates, grateful to all of them, is uh, WCCO in Minneapolis. But I've been wondering, hey, you know, what are, what are Minnesotans like, right? I know I like Minnesotans. What are Minnesotans like? So to not only give us his take on uh, the Super Bowl and what's happening in the news of the day and a bunch of other things, but to give me a little bit of a, a inside track on what Minnesotans like, I'm going to be joined by uh, Tyrell Ventura. Ty- Tyrell Ventura has been uh, Tyler Ventura has been uh, Ty Ventura. I would call him Ty. Ty Ventura has been a, a guest on this show before, and he happens to be the son of former Governor Jesse Ventura. He's a filmmaker and does a terrific podcast. So we're going to get into uh, a lot with him, including what I should be doing to make sure we have the same kind of success in Minneapolis on WCCO that we have had in New York and Baltimore and a lot of other great places. So we're going to get into that. But first, for all of you people 
that think it's only bad news on the radio. I got news for you. There is a great deal of good news in the world, and we're always happy to give a pat on the back to people that deserve it in the form of... The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. I must first give a commendation to Lamar Jackson, the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. Unfortunately, he did not make it to the Super Bowl, but... He still made history at Thursday evening's NFL Honors, winning the NFL MVP award for the second time. At 27 years old, Jackson is the youngest two-time MVP since the merger of the NFL and the AFL, beating out Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes by just over nine months. And Jackson was the landslide winner. He got 49 out of 50 first place votes, and this is obviously who I would have voted for. In my view, Lamar Jackson is absolutely a future Hall of Famer. He's an incredible player, and the fans of Baltimore are very, very lucky to have him, as far as I'm concerned. So, Lamar Jackson, I do commend you. I must also commend Jack Hemmings, a former Royal Air Forces pilot who has again taken to the skies in a spitfire at 102 years old. 102 years old. Jack Hemmings, an ex-squadron leader with Britain's Air Force, is believed to be the oldest pilot to fly the World War II plane. His 20-minute flight from an airfield in southern England on Monday was to raise money for a charity. You ready for this? that he co-founded nearly 80 years ago. The veteran, who had never flown a Spitfire before, said it was absolutely delightful being back behind the controls, though he said the ride was very bumpy. Love seeing people like this still productive, still doing things, still showing that you can be leading a meaningful life even once you turn 100. And the fact that he's doing this for charity, a charity that he's been so involved in for over eight decades, I just, I don't, I can't think of anything more commendable. So, Mr. Hemmings, I do commend you. And I must also commend an eight-year-old named Charlie, whose quick thinking saved herself and her two-year-old sister after a a carjacking at a gas station. This quick-thinking eight-year-old saved herself and her sister when a carjacker stole their father's SUV at a Wisconsin car wash while they were still in the vehicle. You imagine how scary that is for a child. Imagine how scary that is for an adult, but for a child especially. Especially at eight years old, you're old enough to know what's going on, but you're very limited in what you can do to fight back. So this all took place on Sunday afternoon when Adam Jorgensen got a car wash with his two daughters uh, in uh, Oak Creek, about 12 miles south of Milwaukee. Jorgensen hopped out so he could grab a cloth after the wash and left the SUV running. Then someone stopped him to ask for directions. That's when he heard the screech of tires and saw his vehicle speeding off. Then he told me to get out, and I was like, what should I do? Should I run and be a scaredy cat, or should I save my sister too? That's what the 8-year-old Charlie said. So I said, what about Autumn? Charlie said she felt the need 
to do something. Quote, I should try to kick him or defend myself in autumn, but then I was like, I should stay in my seat and do nothing. Stay here, do the questions. But when I realized that dad had the key, I was like, he can't do anything without the key. She said the driver asked where the keys were, and she said her dad had them. The driver ended up ditching the car about a mile up the road at uh, Batteries Plus Bulbs. That's when Charlie grabbed her dad's phone from the front of the car, called her mother, and left a voicemail. And, you know, just calling for the mother, telling her what's going on. And it's really, if you listen to the audio, it's very scary. She le- leaves the mom a voicemail saying, Mom, I need you. We lost Dad. And the, the two-year-old, Autumn, is heard in the background saying, Where go Dada? Back at the quick trip, Jorgensen had immediately called 911. At the same time, he was on another phone with his wife, who was tracking the girls using Adam's iPhone location, who saw it, who saw it stops at the batteries plus bulbs. Eventually, the police located the girls at the store and reported that the children were safe and unharmed, thankfully. But, you know, the fact that these two little girls were in the car when this miscreant carjacked them, I mean, to me, it's just, as a parent and as a member of the public, it's just frightening. Frightening. And um, the fact that this eight-year-old Charlie was quick-witted enough to keep answering these questions and not just run out when this bad guy told her to, I think this is a very positive outcome for the whole family here. Could have certainly been much worse. I want to commend the 30 current and former employees of a middle school in Kentucky who won a million dollars in a Powerball jackpot. Five numbers on one lucky Powerball ticket won a million dollars for a Kentucky middle school's lottery pool of 30 current and former employees. The Boone County counselors, administrative staff members, special education teachers, and others who pooled their money over the past eight years each took home $24,000 after taxes following their win of the January 27th Powerball drawing, according to a news release from the lottery. The group said they've played a permanent set of Powerball numbers since 2019, sticking to those numbers week after week, and it finally paid off. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, but, you know, they say that's what you should do rather than do the quick pick, which, you know, I play lottery so infrequently, that's what I always do. I get the quick pick. They say what you should do if you're going to play every week, whatever kind of lottery, uh, Powerball, pick three, whatever else, is always play the same numbers. Because eventually, you know, they I guess you have a better chance that they'll come out. But who knows? Uh, lottery is, you know, not a good bet. All right. I want to commend the um, R- Richard Plowd because Richard Plowd built a 23.6-foot matchstick Eiffel Tower. A really incredible, incredible feat of me- of engineering with matchsticks. And it was the Guinness World Record holder for largest Eiffel Tower, tallest matchstick Eiffel Tower. Wouldn't you know it, Guinness World Records tells him 
that he used the wrong matches and they weren't going to honor the record. So anyway, this gets reported and finally Guinness rescinds what they had said and now they are going to honor this man as the record holder for tallest matchstick Eiffel Tower. This man spent 4,200 hours over eight years on building his model from more than 706,000 matches and 23 kilos of glue. Can you imagine putting in all that work only to be told that you use the wrong type of matches? I mean, you talk about an emotional roller coaster. I am glad this gentleman is being recognized as the Guinness World Record holder, which he certainly is. I want to commend Viagra. Viagra, it does more than just keep erectile dysfunction at bay. Oh, yes. A new study of nearly 270,000 men suggests a pharmaceutical commonly used for ED may lower the risk of Alzheimer's disease by some 18%. Hello, 18% is no joke. So, those of you concerned about Alzheimer's, as I certainly am, may find another reason to take Viagra or the generic equivalent. Who wants Alzheimer's? Um, Not at all related to my commendation of Viagra, I must also commend nuts. No, not those nuts. You know, one of the things we always heard about nuts was that they cause you to gain weight, right? Well, it turns out that is not the case. In the midst of all these evolving dietary trends, endless health advice, there's a common misconception that eating nuts, particularly tree nuts like pistachios, leads to weight gain due to their fat content. And this belief has contributed to more than half of Americans falling short of the recommended five to seven ounce equivalents of nuts and seeds per week. However, recent studies are now challenging this, revealing the beneficial impact of nuts on health without the feared weight gain. So nuts are a nutritional powerhouse. So the next time you're hanging out at the bar, enjoying a mocktail, especially during Lent, Grab yourself a handful of pistachios without the guilt because nuts are good for you again. Hey, I love these guys. Uh, I just learned about these guys yesterday, but I have to commend them. Three longtime friends have attended every Super Bowl ever, and they don't intend to stop. This club, they call it the Never Missed a Super Bowl Club, It used to be much bigger. Now there's three of them left. And these three fans, all in their 80s, Don Chrisman of Maine, Gregory Eaton of Michigan, and Tom Henschel, who splits his time between Florida and Pennsylvania, they were in Las Vegas yesterday for the big game, and they're hoping they can all make it to the 60th edition of the Super Bowl two years from now. The fans have sat together at the Super Bowl before, and they're still trying to, you know, as of the article that was written about them, trying to make last-minute arrangements to do that for this year's game. But at the very least, they were planning to get together for brunch um, before the game. I think this is so cool 
to have attended every game since the first one in 1967 and never miss one. And the fact that these three guys are able to do this as sort of a shared adventure and a shared experience, you know, it's not easy at any age to stop whatever you're doing and fly to wherever the Super Bowl is. I had an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl yesterday, and it was I decided it was a little bit too much of a pain for me to go. These guys do it every year, and they do it into their 80s. So I really have to commend these guys for a level of stick to a level of, I don't know what you would call it, passion, that I find genuinely inspiring. Uh, I must also commend Eli Mielke. This is a gentleman who is a, a young man from Iowa who created an Instagram account called Peanut Butter Eater 16 with the idea of eating small amounts of peanut butter after getting a certain amount of followers. However, that quickly blew up. He was planning for every 50 followers, he would eat one tablespoon of peanut butter. On the sixth day of doing this, he'd amassed more than 20,000 people. So he decided every 10,000 followers, he will eat one cup of peanut butter. But that rule didn't save Eli from consuming large amounts of peanut butter. And on January 14th, he covered himself in peanut butter as promised, as he promised his followers he would do, once he reached 100,000 followers. So since starting this account, this gentleman has gone through seven jars of peanut butter. He spent roughly, he spent close to $150 on peanut butter to support this venture. Now, usually I don't reward this kind of social media stunting, right? These kind of social media shenanigans. Maybe it's my respect for him doing something different and out of the box. Or maybe it's because I just love peanut butter and fantasize about doing this myself. I have to give this young man a commendation. I think this is wonderful. I think it's wonderful that he kept his word. Unlike uh, Chris Mad Dog Russo, who promised to retire and uh, didn't end up doing it when there was some sporting event. I want to commend everybody who is celebrating Lunar New Year around the world. We're entering the Year of the Dragon. Very exciting. Very exciting. I love the the, uh, Asian folks. And uh, it is uh, great to see everybody having such a good time with Lunar New Year. And then finally, I want to commend my brother, Alexander Marco Morano. My brother Alex watched Carmine on Friday night so that uh, my wife and I could go out to dinner at this place that uh, I've been wanting to take her to that she's not been to. And he, because, you know, he works from home, he allowed me to pick him up right after the show, which is not at all convenient for him. It starts the day a lot earlier. Then spent the whole day at our house working, watched Carmine, did a yeoman's job, even gave him a bath, and then took an Uber home at his own expense. I offered to reimburse him, wouldn't hear of it. So that was very, very nice. And um, because of that, I am waiving the debt that he owes me for Chris Christie not being the Republican nominee for president, which was a free dinner uh, of, you know, at a restaurant of my choosing. So I thought that was... uh, I thought that was really kind. Thank you, Alexander. I do commend you. All right. Um, Ty Ventura 
will join us in a moment, but a couple of people have been very patiently holding. Let me get to a couple of them here. 800-848-9222. Russell is in White Plain on air. Thank you. All right. Uh, we'll talk with uh, Ty Ventura in, in just a moment, uh, someone that is much more proficient in communications than Russell appears to be. You want to email me, you can certainly do so, frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. That's frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I still call it Twitter, at Frank Morano. Ty Ventura joins us straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. You know, this morning, my goal was to do a post-Super Bowl show like no other. And what I like to do is take people that are known for things other than analyzing football telecasts and then ask them to analyze the football telecast. Well, I was uh, really grateful that our next uh, guest has uh, agreed to come on the radio with me because not only is he uh, somebody that I've come to admire a great deal, but somebody that has a pretty diverse resume himself, actor, producer, investigator, podcaster, a terrific podcast, which we'll talk about, and the son of uh, former Minnesota Governor Jesse Ventura. But selfishly, now that we're airing on uh, WCCO in Minneapolis, I'm hoping as a native son of Minnesota, he can kind of give me a few tips on what the Minnesotans enjoy hearing late at night. Very happy to welcome to the program once again, Tyrell Ventura. Ty, it's great to talk to you, with you again. Thanks for staying up late. Great to talk with you, Frank. Always, always a great honor coming on your show here in the uh, post midnight hour. Mm, well, love it. well, love it. thank you. Uh, first things first, you know, give me some advice here on uh, on how to appeal to the good folks of the Minneapolis St. Paul area. Is there a secret code word that I should be aware of? A, a secret way of pronouncing water that will let the Minnesotans know I'm secretly one of them? Oh yeah. Well, don't you know? You know, really, you just have to have it down with the uh, the Fargo accent. No, actually, man, you want to really appeal to the to, the, to wonderful people in Minnesota. You got to do what the Ventura, what my father's done, and and what a lot of people do is is integrity, honesty, and uh, and try Ludafisk. <laughs> 
Knock, knock a little lutefisk out, a little, little uh, fish pudding. I, I have tried lutefisk. I have to tell you, if that's going to make or break me in Minnesota, I think I might be broken. Uh, Ty, have you eat? I'm sure you've eaten lutefisk. What, what, do you like it? No, not at all. Nobody does. Anyone who does is crazy. Um, it's fish pudding. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of the worst things I've ever had in my life in terms of eating it. But it is a true test of whether or not you are a Minnesota. Good to know. Uh, thank you. Hey, uh, Ty, before I get your, your take on the, uh, the game yesterday, um, what kind of a football fan are you? Would you, on the scale of one being has never watched a game to ten being an encyclopedic knowledge of every team on every player, uh, every player and every team, where would you put yourself? Uh, I would probably layer myself in at about a five. I'm more of an NBA guy myself at the end of the day. However, uh, being a Minnesotan, uh, you know football heartbreaks so well. It just <laughs> yeah. eats away at your soul. Because every time the Vikings get close, every time you think you've got the riddle solved, we fall short and our hopes and dreams are dashed. But that does not prevent us from continuing to root for the purple and gold. I was sorry the Vikings, um, you know, didn't go further in the playoffs this year. I took them just about every week in my football pool, and I'm not really an expert football analyst myself, so I come up with kind of, you know, some people would call silly, although I did very well in the uh, pool, but unorthodox methods for how I choose which team. And because Minnesota elected Jesse Ventura in 1998, they are almost always my pick in the football pool. So I was I was rooting for them. I was sorry they didn't do uh, they didn't do better. Uh, give me your thoughts on yesterday's Super Bowl, either in terms of the game itself or the showmanship, the telecast, uh, anything and everything. What did you think? Yeah, I thought it was an incredible game. Uh, it, it was one of those fun Super Bowl games where it wasn't just offenses taking over and going nuts, where you have these like monstrous high scores and you know every every other down is a touchdown, which is fun and exciting. But sometimes you like to see a little defense being played. You like to see you know something that goes to the wire, and you couldn't ask for a Super Bowl that that didn't have. I mean, this Super Bowl had a, a tremendous storylines with you know party. Uh, you had you had down to the wire finishes. And, and thankfully, I, I, in watching the game, there wasn't any real controversy on the field. There wasn't like too many blown calls mm-hmm. that would have like decided an outcome that then, you know, makes one fan base feel like something was stolen from them. It really just came down, I think, to stamina. And, you know, it's a game of inches at the end of the day. And so it's who kind of blinks when you get into the overtime like that. And tragically tonight, the can you know, the San Francisco 49ers blinked. Their defense blinked, but man, take nothing away from from both teams. Uh, they played their hearts out out there. You really felt it. No, no doubt about it. Who were you rooting for, if anybody? I, because I didn't really have a stake in the game. I, I you know, and I guess Vikings are NFC, so you got to go with the NFC side. But and, and you know, to me, the San Francisco had a, you know, they had the storylines that you kind of want to see mm-hmm. play out. But like that doesn't take away from the incredible, incredible talent and coaching of the Chiefs. Um, you know, obviously Mahomes is, is one of those generational quarterbacks uh, that you that you just kind of know is going to put it on his back and take it in. And, and so a little bit of me, you know, I always like to see the underdog win, even though, the, the, you know, Niners are a hell of a team. But you always kind of want to see that that the underrated team succeed. So I was a little let down that they that they didn't make it just given the storylines coming into the game. But man, it was a hell of a game fun to watch as far as the presentation and the pageantry and all of that. I mean, seeing Usher and Lil John Ludacris made me feel a little old. 
Mm. You know, I was like, oh man, wow, it's 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 reached that level now. You know, between that and like Dre and all them last year, I think it was or the year before, it, it's kind of got me feeling right. Like, you're gonna be man, eligible for Medicare pretty soon. I know it's 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 it makes me hurt inside <laughs> a little bit. It makes uh, me hurt inside, but no, it's good good showmanship. And of course, you know, like always, you know, immediately following, you had everybody jump online and start talking about all the uh, satanic symbology uh, represented at the game. So give us the at. give us the. Uh, I missed <laughs> some of this, and and you're you're attuned to not necessarily Satanism, <laughs> but uh, different communities and what they're seeing the subtext that I'm missing, which we love for overnight radio. Give me some of the satanic symbology that uh, I might have missed. Oh, of course. Well, well, apparently, you know, uh, Usher was dancing at one point on flames, which then represented him dancing on hell or something like that. Uh, one of Taylor Swift's buddies had apparently an upside down cross on or something goofy. Like, you know, it's like it's that's becomes like part of the fun of watching is seeing like where that crowd will take it. Oh, no um, doubt. Absolutely. Every every whether it's the Grammys or, or the Super Bowl, like, you know, it's hey, we got to find some kind of like evil spirit underworld darkness uh trying to be foisted upon the populace through their popular entertainment programs hey um as i mentioned last time you were on i've become a a big fan of your podcast you guys talk about everything from conspiracy theories to politics to uh to movies i haven't heard it in a few weeks am i Mm -hmm. am i not looking in the right place or are you guys taking a hiatus Oh, no, we are still going live and we are still going strong on Die First and Quit on Substack. Uh, it, we've been very busy these last few weeks uh, working on a bigger project involving my father that we are going to be hopeful to announce uh, in the next few months. Huh. Um, and so that's kind of taken up, eaten up a lot of our, our my creative time. Uh, but no, definitely we will have some new stuff up this week. Uh, you know, it's just kind of one of those things where you gotta, you gotta, when you have a lot of plates spinning, man, you gotta keep them spinning oh, and hope that nothing drop. And, I, and this, I get new, it. this new endeavor that we're venturing into for the, for the new year here is, has taken up a lot of my bandwidth, but, uh, trust me, it's going to be fantastic. Well, and all the more definitely reason. let you know the moment it hits. Thank you. All the more reason we appreciate you, uh, making some time, uh, for us. There was one political ad last night. I'm sure you caught it. Yes, I did. Yeah, so it was uh, the Super PAC supporting Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, I saw that uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has been a guest several times on this show. He actually did an appearance in uh, Arizona with your father a couple of days ago. Give me your take on the ad that aired during the Super Bowl and uh, his candidacy in general. Uh, well, I was completely blown away by the ad. I wasn't expecting it. In fact, I, Neither I can't was I, remember yeah. if there's ever been a political ad on the Super Bowl to my recent knowledge or memory. It was kind of, I was, it was like, whoa, okay. And it was unique. It was unique taking the the riff off of his, you know, off of JFK's ads back in the day uh, and then kind of putting the the contemporary Kennedy spin on it. Uh, it, it was bold. Um, being that he doesn't have ballot access in all the states yet and things like that, I don't know how much it'll help him. Um, but uh, maybe it will. I don't know. I think in today's political climate, I think people are yearning for a third party candidate. You know, they're yearning for another choice. I mean, if we're, if we're, this is my own opinion, but if we're stuck with Biden and Trump to vote for, I think a lot of people might just stay home on election day tragically. 
because I don't think those two candidates represent the whole of the American people. And we need more candidates than just the, the, the you know, the, the Coke and Pepsi choices that we're mm. presented with every year. Um, as far as his candidacy so far, there's a lot that I disagree with Bobby on. There's a lot that I agree with the mom, but I think that's just kind of the flavor. You, you, you know, that's just every candidate. You're not going to entirely get behind. You're not going to, you're not, you're not, you know, you're either going to be all the way in or you're, or you're going to be all the way out. Uh, as far as, uh, my father's recent, uh, appearance with him in Arizona at a get out to, you know, get on the ballot rally, get to help get third parties on the ballots. Um, you know, Jesse came out and said on, on X Twitter that he supports all third party candidates this election because he is so passionate about having more than two choices, legitimate, you know, more than just the two choices on the ballot. Um, he wants people like RFK, Jill Stein, Cornell West, you know, he wants to elevate all those people who are running for, for third party in, in third party slots or independent slots. Um, both in presidential elections, federally, locally, nationally, you know, we do, we just have to get more than these two choices out there. Oh, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. Obviously, you're pre- preaching to the choir. The other ad which caught me somewhat by surprise was the ad featuring Carl Weathers and mm. had sort of a mini in memoriam to him. Obviously, he died just a few days ago. One of his, uh, obviously he's great in Rocky, but one of his most iconic roles was in uh, Predator, who stars another former, a couple of former governors, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jesse Ventura. Um, In one of your dad's books, he said that you were kind of bitten by the film Bug, hanging out with him on some movie sets. I'm curious, did you ever find your way to the Predator set and did you ever have any interaction with Carl Weathers if you did? It's funny you mention that. I never found my way onto the Predator set. I just heard the stories uh, when my dad got back. So I think it was about seven or eight at the time when he shot that down in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Um, but what's interesting is, is is losing Carl hit us pretty deep because I think it was back in November. Uh, my father, I usually travel with my father when he goes to comic cons or you know conventions uh, to sign autographs and do things like that. And Carl was featured along with him as kind of a little mini Predator reunion. It was at a convention oh, cool. in Atlanta. So we just got to see Carl just a few months back in November and incredible, incredible human being warm, just funnier than hell. Um, and, and seeing him and my dad be able to kind of sit back and reminisce on a film that they made 30 years ago, that's now considered a classic, uh, by many film fans out there. Uh, it, it was, it, it struck us both. I mean, I called him, uh, cause Jesse has a home now in Arizona during the winter. And I called him and, and talked to him about it. We were both just truly saddened and, and very, we both felt very lucky that we got to see Carl and, and we were both, you know, you never want to see somebody go at all, especially somebody as iconic and, and incredible and, and just a beautiful person and human being that Carl is. Um, so we were very, we, we felt really good that we were able to see him and, and God damn, he looked in great health. You know, it, it was really, really shocking uh, when we saw him because boy, he, you know, him and Jesse standing together, you know, there was some age there, you know, both in their seventies, but, but they both, you know, are still, are still sport. We're still sporting the biceps. They were both in great shape. Well, and that's one of the things that I found so confounding is, you know, I didn't see anything really that indicated his cause of death, but the last time uh, that I saw him just, you know, on television, it's been a long time since I've saw him in person, but the last time I saw him on television, which was fairly, fairly recently, he not only seemed incredibly sharp mentally, but he looked in just an incredible shape. So obviously you never know what's going on with people, but uh, it was uh, quite a shock just as a fan. 
It, it, it truly was. And, and like I said, I saw him in, you know, like we said, I saw him in November and, and he looked great. You know, I, I, from what all reports is he died peacefully in his sleep, which I think is probably the way we'd all like to mm -hmm. go, you know, if, if given the choice. Um, but no, I mean, incredible life, incredible person, incredible artist. You know, I mean, there's not many bad Carl Weathers movies out there. He, even Action Jackson Jackson is a hell of a fun, goofy 80s film when you sit back and watch it. So, you know, the film community and, and, and all of us who love film truly lost one of the great entertainers and one of the great great icons of our childhoods if you're if you're of a certain age i mean from from rocky to predator to you know but was a happy gilmore to you know he had such a great career arrested development no, no I mean, doubt the, i love the man was great at comedy action i mean just a, a great great human being and he was a phenomenal athlete too because i think he played for the raiders didn't that's he? right that's exactly exactly right oh by the way while we're talking here i got a, an sms text message from a listener who says i got the video um, the lady that was sitting next to Taylor Swift had an upside down cross on. She was throwing up devil horns with her fingers and also lifting up her cross, showing that it was an upside down cross. Well, now we know the rest of the story, Ty. Thank you. I would have had no idea to even ask about that had you not brought this up. Thank you. So Taylor <laughs> Swift, now we know what deal she made with Satan in order to achieve this degree of success and celebrity. And now she she's got the Super Bowl did. win to, to, to boot. Wow. Uh, oh my god so ridiculous where people want to take things it's like you know how many people people have been in the music industry and rock and roll and living on that life man and this wasn't taylor doing this as her friend you know they've been they've been like trying to instigate the populace and, and throw out i mean how how many metal how many metal artists have thrown up the devil side you know the devil horns with their hands over the years i mean good lord <laughs> the last time you were on the program, we ch chatted a bit about uh, UFOs. There's been quite a bit happening on the UFO front. There's been additional congressional hearings. The head of Arrow is stepping aside. A lot of media coverage, obviously. Where do you view the UFO or the UAP situation at the moment? Where do you see it going from here? I, you know, it's interesting, and it, it, it's funny we always talk about this. Um, you know, where is it going in terms of disclosure? I don't know. I mean, it just depends. I, I think anytime you have government secrecy, no matter what it's covering, whether it's it's UFO or your taxes or your, your whatever, you want to root it out. You want to expose it to the light. I mean, that's just the natural instinct, especially when they're using your tax dollars to, whether it's investigate mm. or cover it up. Um, I think it was really interesting uh, seeing the reactions that some of the Congress people had after they'd gone into like kind of the top secret, uh, I think it's a skiff is what it's called, where you can't really take in any recording information. You can't really do anything like that, but you go in and see the top secret documents. Uh, somebody had a video of them kind of leaving and they all looked white as a ghost or just truly shocked. Um, so that was really interesting to see. It's tough with the UFO thing because I'm kind of torn or the UAP thing, because on one hand, you know, It'd be an awful waste of space if there was nothing out there or an awful waste of interdimension, because I've heard that might be the reason behind mm -hmm. it. The other half of my brain, though, also says it's rather convenient that right after we get this brand new branch of, of government at the Pentagon, what was a space force, where they're going to be sinking millions upon millions, even billions of our dollars into. I find it rather interesting that suddenly, out of the blue, the government wants to bring up UAPs. <laughs> if anything, I would, I, you know, my cynical brain is like, hmm, that's a curious coincidence that right when you develop Space Force, now we got to talk about extraterrestrial problems and threats. And why do we always re view it as a threat? 
you know, why has it always got to fall under military and threat? You know, if there is these beings from another world or another dimension that have such an intelligence level that they've mastered this kind of travel and, and, and mastered the technology to do this, why do we immediately assume that they're a threat to us? I mean, if, if you are on that level of intellect, right, right. wouldn't you then also realize just how precious life is and how valuable it is and how, you know, they wouldn't pose a threat to us because they recognize the beauty of life and the sanctity of life? I mean, uh, you're speaking speaking my language. I, I couldn't agree with you more. But as you said, it's the level of government secrecy that causes a lot of people to scratch their heads. Hey, speaking of what's going on in Washington, the Senate voted yesterday to advance a foreign aid bill in a very rare Sunday vote on this $95 billion aid package for Ukraine, Israel, and the Indo-Pacific. 67 senators, bipartisan, voted in favor. We'll see what happens in the in the House. But um, how do you how, what do you, how do you handicap this tie? the The idea that in the Senate, especially. The two parties that so often can't seem to agree on what day it is, the one thing that they have no problem coming to agreement on is funding other countries' wars. I mean, what's your takeaway on this time? It's interesting that when you that, that is one of the biggest things that gets the two parties who supposedly hate each other in bed together all the time. That and the threat of a third party. Our foreign policy, which is you know, essentially really run by the military industrial complex. You notice that with every election of a president, rarely does our foreign policy change. Rarely. We got to remember even Trump, for all those Trumpy, Trumpies out there, even Trump was out there bombing nations. He was dropping bombs on Afghanistan and, and, and feeding the military industrial complex beast. So when you see them get together like this to then send our money overseas, whether you, you know, whether you are you believe in you know trying to support Ukraine or or sure. you know everything going on. You still have to raise an eyebrow and say, hmm, you know, why are we continuing to shovel all of these billions of our tax dollars? Because at the end of the day, it's our money into which we're borrowing more from death China, and violence. which we're borrowing from China to do that. Exactly that yeah. too. You know, so I mean, it's one of those things where if you are a believer in peace, you see, that's the thing that gets me. It's not like we're pushing this money out there trying to support these wars or, or all, you know, under the guise of what we, what we say we're doing, but we never followed up with, all right, but here's our peace plan. Here's how we're trying to mm -hmm. end this. All we're told is that the wars just have to keep going, you know, you know, and, and that's the thing that really gets under my nerves is because I'm a peace, I'm, I'm peace first, as you could tell, you know, I don't, war has never been an answer. And the more money that you send to war, it's not, you know, the, the, the longer those wars will continue. And until you turn off that money and arms spigot, you got to remember the United States is the biggest arms dealer in the world. You know, we we outweigh everybody when it comes to dealing arms around the world. So we are directly responsible for the, for most of the conflicts or the continuation of conflict. And if you're going to send money to support, then why don't we hear these same voices stepping up as hard, like getting together for all these votes to say, all right, now let's end these wars and let's find solutions to them rather than well, that's just war. What can you do? Mm. You know, which seems to be the, the general consensus from our foreign policy. But yeah, that's the one thing to pay attention to. Since the death of John Kennedy, our foreign policy has always been a war first foreign policy. 
And I'll point out, if uh, anyone is unaware, you're not only the son and uh, nephew of uh, Navy SEAL veterans, but uh, you are the grandson of at least two World War II veterans as well, lest anybody yes. think that you're uh, spending your afternoons uh, burning American flags and uh, firebombing um, Navy recruitment centers. Um, two Stand, qu- standing up for peace is an American virtue. Amen. It's just as patriotic. Amen. Completely agree, if not more so. Um, two final area, areas I want to try and get into with you before we run out of time here. Uh, we are on WCCO in Minneapolis these days. The Minneapolis mayor really laced into the idea of working from home. The mayor called people that work from home losers and um, said that, you know, b- b- that I mean, that really says it all. What do you make of his, uh, his comments there? Do you think that the mayor's right, that the work from homers are losers? I think that's ridiculous. I mean, I haven't seen his comments to, to see how they were said and the what context, but just going off of what you told me, I think that's a ridiculous statement to make. Look, we are in an era where you can work from home as opposed to going in the office. And for a lot of people, that is so much easier for who they are as individuals, because you're talking about today with inflation and everything that's going on and how little money that the working class people are getting that for them to have the ability to work from home so they can be next to their kids take care of their home rather than having to travel to some you know nondescript office that you just don't need anymore we live in a world of technology that allows people to work from home at the same with the same proficiency as they would in an office oh you know, so that's been proven I, and time I do and see again. I, one you know, update, so, uh, just to, yeah. out of uh, respect for Mayor Fry, um, one update to this, he, he says he was joking. So if uh, if people, if I read an article where the reporter <laughs> didn't understand the joke, so be it. Uh, the last thing I want to do is uh, criminalize poor humor. Uh, lastly, um, this is very much a, a sad story, and I'm not sure if you've, uh, you've seen it yet, but they're saying that the uh, wrestler Billy Jack Haynes, who was an integral part of the WWF back in the 1980s, when uh, I'm sure you were watching, and I, I know another Ventura was integral to the commentary, he's been arrested for uh, murdering his wife. And uh, this is uh, really quite a shocking thing. I-, I followed, I haven't really thought about Billy Jack Haynes in years, but I remember watching uh, the match at um, WrestleMania three against, you know, Hercules Hernandez, yeah. which was a terrific matchup. A- any thoughts on this at all, or anything you could share about, you know, Billy Jack Haynes? I, you know, I haven't heard that name in many, many, many years. So I don't know the circumstances of what happened with that case in particular. I think what is truly tragic, though, uh, and this goes back to my father's efforts to unionize wrestling back in the early 80s, is that a lot of people come out of wrestling from all the wear and tear and abuse Mm. and concussive concussive injuries. And we know how bad. I don't know if that's the case here. I know that probably was the case with Chris Benoit. Well, yeah, that those concussive concussive injuries that are sustained through wrestling do have an adverse effect on your brain that's been proven time and again i don't know if that's the case or what was going on with billy jack but i do feel very strong it is truly tragic that when you think back to wrestlemania one and you think of how many people are still alive who were part of those early wrestlemanias there may be five people you know left uh my dad hogan you know what mr t 
Tito Santana, right. uh, you know, most of all of that generation, my father's generation of wrestlers are all have all died. Well, the smartest or, thing he did was stop wrestling at a relatively young age rather exactly. than, uh, you know, by the way, uh, Billy Jack Haynes was a plaintiff in a federal class action suit filed against the WWE eight years ago, claiming that the organization mistreated its wrestlers by mm. denying and concealing medical research about traumatic brain injuries that they suffered. So who knows? Maybe go. that did play a role here, but I'm glad you mentioned that regardless. Ty, I always enjoy talking with you, and uh, thank you for being our radio Sherpa to the good folks of the Mini Apple on WCCO. Hopefully, we'll uh, chat again soon. Most definitely, man. And trust me, you're going to love Minneapolis. you got to get up here and visit. Our, our restaurant seat here is, is uh, extraordinary these days. Uh, Multiple James Beard winners, the whole thing, man. You gotta, you're got you going to love it up here. Great count on it. Uh, I'm going to wait till it's a little warmer, though. But I will, <laughs> I will be there soon. Thank you, Ty Ventura. Appreciate it very much. Uh, find him on Substack, uh, and you can also check out his podcast. It is uh, absolutely terrific. Uh, die first, then quit. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. Hey, where did we go? Days when the rains came. A couple of minutes before the top of the hour, again, a birthday bumper music selection from Al DiGiulio. Hey, uh, one quick thing I did want to mention. A uh, very sad story, there were, uh, which could have been much worse. There were two people wounded, including a young child, after a woman opened fire at celebrity pastor Joel Osteen's church in Houston yesterday. Uh, the assailant was reportedly shot, and the, the assailant reportedly shot and killed by was reportedly shot and killed by two off-duty officers. So uh, thankfully, that situation didn't escalate, but uh, that is scary. I mean, one of the places where you think, I mean, we've seen this before, unfortunately, but one of the places you think you should be safe is church. hate to hear that. So uh, we'll see what we learn about this shooter and any possible motive. I'll keep you posted. And, you know, it's funny listening to Ty talk about uh, Ludafisk, which I have tried. It is terrible. I mentioned we went to dinner at uh, at my brother's on uh, Saturday night. And it was the first time I've seen he and my sister-in-law since they've been back from Australia. They were in Australia for a month. And they brought back Vegemite. Are you familiar with Vegemite? Vegemite is... If there's a national dish in Australia, I think it's Vegemite. There are so many people in Australia that eat 
Vegemite on toast every single day. So we all tried some. Every single person hated it. Uh, that ha- that most people, I was able to finish it. I could eat it if I, you know, was really hungry. But I, it was. It's never something that I would enjoy. I would never take that over peanut butter or jam or, you know, anything. Just regular butter. So I'm not sure how. This got such an incredible following in Australia, but um, in our family, it got a two thumbs down. I was able to eat it. I was able to swallow it. I'm not going to tell you I had to spit it out and rinse my mouth out as my sister did, but certainly not my favorite. Until next hour, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm superstar Frank Morano. You know, I try to be the guy that resists technology. I try to be the guy that doesn't always succumb to the latest trends. And yet, so often I do find that I end up marching to the rest of the world's drumbeat on a lot of different issues. One of them is these neighborhood apps. Are you familiar with these? So there's an app called Citizen, which tells you, which is pretty interesting actually, because it tells you what's going on in the area where you are, either where you're physically located, where you work, or whether you, you know, where you go to, where you live. Uh, For instance, as of, you know, 10 hours ago, near where I am now, there was a dispute reported at a FedEx office. Police are responding to a dispute at a FedEx office location. Three hours ago, report seven-tenths of a mile from where I am now, there was a report of a physical altercation. Police are responding to a physical fight involving a male and a female. It's interesting stuff. But... That's not all that I have. I also have the Ring app. Now, Ring um, is an interesting thing. It's an alarm system, just like any other alarm system, ADT or any other alarm system, that if someone tries to break into your house, you can, you know, they'll alert the police. The alarm will go off and they'll alert the police. But, and these are these are all over the place now, and you, you probably, you might have one. If you, if someone rings your doorbell, it'll pop up on your phone who it is. And depending on the settings that you have for the ring cameras that you have, and we have a couple, because, you know, there were disgruntled people showing up at my house to protest the things I was saying on the radio, which is exactly what you want when you have, when you're 
working at night and you have a wife and small child at home. So I had a ring camera installed so I could see who's coming in front of my house. And the other thing that it does is there's a community feed, a community feed which can be great. For instance, um, there's a community feed. I'm looking at what's going on in my neighborhood now. My cat, Inferno, is lost. It shows a picture of the cat, and it says, please, if someone have seen my cat, Inferno, or took her, please bring her back. She was uh, last seen last night at 8 p.m., and it shows you the area that she was last seen. And this person, this cat was actually found. It shows resolved. Another thing. Drunk neighbors don't know where they live, unreal. And it's video footage from someone's ring camera of someone walking around drunk. Let me make sure this is not me. No, not me. Then another thing. um, Does anyone else hear music or something like that going on in the blank neighborhood? Another thing. Missing male cat. So basically, these apps have taken the neighborhood watch to a whole new level. In the old days of the neighborhood watch, the way it would work is you'd have a couple of volunteers, almost like the guardian angels, who would maybe sit outside, maybe walk around, maybe drive around, and they'd keep an eye on anything suspicious. And if they saw anything suspicious, at least amounting to potentially criminal, maybe they'd have walkie-talkies to... um, reach the other neighborhood watch people, or if it was something like a crime in progress or looked like there might be a crime in progress, these neighborhood watch people would call the police and report on it. And it's a great system. Now, what these apps have done is they've essentially made everybody into a member of the neighborhood watch and even more people voyeurs of this system. There's another one that's very popular. For different different neighborhoods, it's called Next Door. And I'm going to pull up the updates that I've been getting from Next Door. And these are actually from my old apartment. It's not where I live now, but it's, you know, not far. The National Weather Service has issued a winter storm watch on February 12th. Good to know. Good to know. Now, you could also just listen to the radio and we would tell you about that, but... If someone doesn't have a radio and they have this next door app, so be it. Um, this person stole a package from my porch. They may be dangerous, and they have their picture. So I think now we have to ask whose side is. Uh, actually, this one's cut off. I can't see. I can't see them all. Dear friends, be vigilant and always lock your car doors at all times. And it's an image of someone trying to open a car door. At least that's how it seems. What's going on at Mike's Diner, Forest and Richmond Avenues? Three cop cars, tons of activity. Uh, All sorts of things like this. And people check them. So there was a really interesting op-ed in the Washington Post by Rick Riley, who's a contributing columnist for the Washington Post. And I didn't necessarily agree with everything that he said, but I did find his broader point Interesting. Headline of his piece was, Next Door has gotten way out of hand. 
And then the column reads, are you bummed you weren't around when the Stasi ruled? Do you wish you could have been one of Mao Zedong's millions of neighborhood snitches? Maybe watch the Red red Guards drag off your least favorite aunt? Not to worry, the bad old days are back thanks to Nextdoor.com. On Nextdoor, and it's not just Nextdoor, it's all these apps that I just mentioned, and I'm sure there's a hundred others that I don't even know about. On Nextdoor, all you have to do is sign up, log in, and start profiling everyone on your block. Teenager in a hoodie walking on your street, lock your doors. Black guy with a black, with a backpack standing on the corner, call the cops. Just last week on Nextdoor, someone in the Hamptons posted a front door video of a teenage girl and wrote, Does anyone recognize this young woman? Well, turns out her mother did. She is selling cookies to raise money to go on a high school trip. Shame on you. Not everyone is a thief or a bad person. That's what the mom wrote. And you never know it on Nextdoor. And if you look at the updates on Nextdoor, you really do have this situation where these aspiring vigilantes gather to start whispering campaigns about people. And a lot of times you see the video of the folks that they put or the photos and the folks aren't doing anything wrong. And they'll put it up there with the caption, oh, suspicious activity. Does anyone know this man? I remember one time, you know, one of the things you have to do in the area in New York and in a lot of other places around the country, when you run for office, you have to collect signatures. So if you're involved in politics, everyone's got to go out and collect signatures. So one time this uh, friend of mine who was working for, you know, a local state senator, he was caught on this ring camera ringing the doorbell and they post this video of him. Does anybody know this suspicious man? He was going to all of the houses. Now, he was just trying to get people's signature to get Senator so-and-so on the ballot. Yet these apps have become an opportunity for people that are paranoid to showcase everything that they think is suspicious. And, and this is what I'm concerned about, it's created a situation where people think there's much more suspicious activity going on in their neighborhoods than there's actually are. There's a next-door user criticizing the paltry size of some of the Halloween candy being handed out. So, again, I think it's great if you've lost an animal or, God forbid, lost a child. It's wonderful that you are able to get information out to your neighborhoods quickly. But when you get revved up by your neighbors and you become more likely to call 911 or to take action, uh, like we saw with, you know, the Trayvon Martin situation, for instance, you really do have to worry that maybe this has gotten a little bit out of control. So I thought it was an interesting piece, and I'm curious if you've observed this going on in your neighborhood and the prevalence of these apps. 800-848-9222. Here's Sarah Fryer, the CEO of Nextdoor, and talk about what the company is really hoping to do here. 
addressing themes of loneliness, whether it's addressing themes of things like cost of living. How do you help people make money in their community? Things like crisis response. In a moment of a true big crisis, when we all lived it with COVID. A woman here uh, is talking about next door and how she can find, she finds it helpful, but some of the things that she keeps an eye on. It's great to communicate with your neighbors to say, hey, there's a garage sale coming up. Hey, we've heard that there's a rash of break-ins occurring. But again, don't put very detailed personal information out there that could compromise your safety. So I um, I use these apps. You know, I, I want to know if there's a lunatic on the loose with a machete, right? But uh, Or, you know, if there's a lost dog and I come across this dog, I'd like to know who it is. I just am concerned at, for some of the same reasons that this uh, Rick Riley is that we are creating a whole generation of tattletales and worry warts. What do you think? 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. You know, Wednesday is Valentine's Day, and I'm trying to think of something really creative to um, to get my wife you know, I mean, look, you could always do flowers. Um, you could always do candy. But I'd love to get something thoughtful and creative that, you know, uh, shows some and takes some, some effort and thought. And I'm trying to figure out what to do. She got me this book a few years ago called 642 Things uh, You Know I Love About You. And basically, it's 642 different prompts for you know, different things that, you know, uh, she finds po- to be a positive. And it's really nice because I look back at that still years later and think, oh, you know, it's very nice. And especially when she's yelling at me for something, I could look back at this and it brings back some fond memories. So I was thinking about getting something like that, but I was wondering, I felt that might be too derivative of, um, you know, of what she did a few years ago. I'd love to come up with something a little different, a little more original. So if you have a thought, feel free to give a call on that or email me privately. And, you know, uh, emails frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. Matt, you're, you're probably not the right person to ask, but you're here. What are you doing for your significant other for uh, Valentine's Day? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. We don't do anything for each not other. Not even anymore. flowers or anything? No, we used to do that. I've been together almost 20 years now. We're kind of past all that. I'll, I mean, I will be home. That night, so maybe we'll have dinner together, I guess. Oh, that's right. Are you off the rest of the week? Well, I'll be here tomorrow. Are you here tomorrow? I'll okay. be here tomorrow. And are you, uh, are you doing something, or are you just taking some time off? I'm having a medical procedure. Oh, uh, okay. You don't, but you don't want to say what it is. I will say what it is, because- is it, think... It's got to be dental-related, given- <laughs> No, no, no. It is uh, my first colonoscopy. Oh, okay. Which well, is very important for people to get. Absolutely. Which is why I have no problem saying what it is. So I will be out. I'll be here tomorrow and then out the rest of the week. Okay. So I will be around Valentine's Day. I won't be able to eat anything because my colonoscopy is the next day and you can't eat anything. Tony, what's your deal? Do you have a significant other? No, not the time being. Oh, well, so that could be you have certainly quite a savings of effort and money when it yes, comes to Valentine's I'll, it'll Day. Yes, be me, myself, and I on the 14th. So, so be it. 800-848-9222. Uh, Michael is on Long Island. What's on your mind, Michael? My, me, me? What, Frank? Yes. Uh, I heard... Can you imagine Jesus the people that didn't mentors- get through... Son talking about a political ad for the Kennedy kid. 
Yes. Forget him. Go with Henry Cabbage Lodge the third. I used to caddy for him at Deepdale Golf Course. He's the man. Is he running? No. His wife won't let him. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm not familiar with. That's I mean, obviously, what he told me. I'm I'm fami- huh? I'm familiar with Henry Cabot Lodge. Uh, I am unfamiliar with uh, anything about Henry Cabot Lodge the third. But I'm happy to look into him. Michael, thank you for calling. I appreciate it. 800-848-9222. Joe is in the Queens. Hello, Joe. Yeah, two things, Frank. Uh, on what you're discussing now on like the surveillance locally. Uh, I'd recommend a book I'm halfway through, the audio book from an NYU professor, Meredith, that just came out. It's called More Than a Glitch. Get the audio book. You might want to interview her because it just came out. More Than a Glitch. More Than a Glitch, yeah. NYU professor. She went to Harvard. Uh, And also, great interview with Ty. I was really impressed with his presence. Uh, What you guys were saying about the Senate. Uh, dropping all these weapons into the Ukraine and in the Middle East. Ultimately, you have no idea what the affiliation of these people are. It's, it's, uh, they could come right back with those same weapons and come right back up to Washington, D.C., over the border and hit these fat cats with the same weapons that, that you sent them. They're like pirates. You don't know who they are affiliated with in these countries like the Ukraine. It's not really even a country. Well, look, I, I mean, thank you, Joe. You know, obviously, if it's your country, you view it very differently. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that, that it's not really a country. They certainly have their problems. But uh, are their problems going to be solved with $60 billion more in borrowed American money? I, I would argue not, that they won't. Uh, Robert is in Suffolk. What's on your mind, Robert? Hi, Frank. A uh, possible gift for Rachel, a uh, portable transistor radio, if she doesn't have one? We have portable transistor radios, I'm not joking here, in every single room in our house. Every single room. Uh, all right. Well, it was a thought. And including... Well, about those apps. What would you say? Yeah, okay. About those apps you have mentioned. Right, these, uh, neighbor, uh, these neighborhood uh, spying apps, yes. Yeah, well, neighborhood watch type apps, we'll call it. Um. Are some of those tagging people with AI to, like, determine their motivation or why they're there? No, no. You're basically, I mean, it's basically an electronic bathroom wall. You know, like, uh, you ever see graffiti in a bathroom wall? Hey, uh, Frank Morano's a real jerk. He eats his boogers. Basically, that's what this is. You're just totally Ah. relying upon people to write whatever they want about their neighbors and so forth. Oh boy, this could get out of control. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Yeah, no, I mean it really, it really could. I mean the the word. Thanks, Robert, for the call. I mean the scary thing is if somebody reports somebody as doing something criminal or dangerous when they're not, they're doing something innocuous, and then someone might have a gun and shoot them. I mean that's what. I mean, that's not a crazy scenario. You know, you saw that situation in upstate New York recently where the guy was convicted somebody pulled into his driveway by mistake and he shot them he shot them i mean if you create a situation where there's somebody 
that's not doing anything wrong and you report that they are and somebody thinks they have a right to be frightened, you never know what's going to happen. I think it's very, potentially very frightening. Hey, I also wanted to comment on, uh, and we, we got Noam Laden here. We'll go through the news with him in just a moment. I wanted to comment on the situation involving these Marines who passed away in this uh, helicopter crash. This is a, a very sad situation. I'm sure by now you've seen it. These five U.S. Marines aboard a helicopter that went missing on a trip from Nevada to California, they were confirmed dead on Thursday. And first responders found the CH-53E Super Stallion helicopter following hours of searching on Wednesday, but they didn't find the crew until Thursday morning. And a lot of the family members, this was an accident, but a lot of the family members of these five Marines have stated that they were upset that this helicopter was flying in these kind of weather conditions. And a lot of folks are saying that uh, basically there's no excuse for this, that they should never have been in these kind of storm-like conditions flying around and they actually blame the military for causing the loss of uh, of their loved ones. It's a, a sad situation, certainly. And, um, you know, my heart goes out to their families. I'm looking at all, all five of their pictures and, you know, their names and their ages. Lance Corporal Donovan Davis, 21 years old. Sergeant Alec Langan, 23 years old. Captain Benjamin Melton, 27 years old. Captain Jack Casey, 26 years old, Captain Miguel Nava, 28 years old. And you just think these are five people that had their their whole lives ahead of them. And we don't know what caused the crash. Right. So maybe if the weather was perfect, the same thing would have occurred. But for if there's a possibility that weather could have been a factor here. I mean, I can't imagine what that would be like to be one of the family members of of one of these folks. Here is uh, Karen Langan, the mother of Sergeant Alec Langan. We are so thankful for the San Diego responders that went up there and searched for him and found that crew because without them, we wouldn't be able to be coming home. Ugh. My goodness, my goodness. You talk about something that tugs on your heartstrings. That, that is it. Um, I'll read you one of the quotes from one of the other family members here. Um, well, actually, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to misquote them, but the, all the articles that I saw were very critical of the fact that this helicopter was out there in this kind of weather. So... Hopefully, maybe this is a learning experience for the future. But yeah, okay. One, I, I thought this was what they said. New, according to the New York Post, one of the family members called these unnecessary military deaths and said they should wake the f up. Um, Stephen Langan, the father of Sergeant Alec Langan, we just played you his mother, tells the New York Post that his son's death is a recent case of what's become an all-too-familiar story in the military community. 
maybe this is the one instance to where they wake the F up and they say, what are we doing to our service members? We've got to stop this. And, I mean, you have the situation where the area where the airbase was was pounded with unprecedented rainfall and snowfall that made these flight conditions very treacherous and unstable. Uh, Bradford Malton, the uncle of one of the other victims, questioned why his nephew and his fellow Marines were in the air during a thousand-year storm. So, look, I don't blame them for being upset here, and I suppose we'll learn more about the circumstances of this crash as it goes forward. 800-848-9222. Rocco is in Saratoga. Hey, uh, you know, Rocco, Lisa in Connecticut reached out to me with uh, her resume. She wants to work for you. Do you do you have an email we can forward her resume oh, to? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Right, uh, so you we'll, want me to give it to you well, on no, air no, no, or no, I'll we'll, give it we'll, to Matt? Yeah, give it to Matt yeah. and then we'll, we'll get it okay. to the proper channels. Okay, no problem. No problem. Definitely. We'll do that, Frank. Absolutely, positively. Uh, you know, I have Ring. Uh, it's useful because my ex-wife, she has it hooked up to her app, and she'll tell me when Amazon made a delivery. I guess she's watching. Oh, it notifies her when someone comes up to the door, right? So she uh, says, yep, oh, you got packages, you know, which is good. It, that's helpful, you know, because Amazon doesn't ring your bell. They just dump the packages right. out there, and you get a lot of these packages, and boom, they're there. It's raining, it's snowing, whatever. They're going to get all wet and soaked. So that's helpful. But also the other thing she does is when, okay, let's say a, a woman comes to my door unsolicited. Uh, let's just say a friend and she rings the bell. My wife is, uh, who was that? Who was at your door? That, well, who is that? Why is it your business? I mean, come on. But Rocco, now, Rocco, you know, I mean, aren't you asking for your trouble for trouble by having your ex-wife has access to who's coming into your house? I mean, if she, I if I had an ex-wife, she's the last person that I would ever want knowing who's visiting me. She told me she took the app off her phone. OK, because I said, hey, stop, because my neighbor next door, Greg, and I said, you know, your wife's listening to everything we're talking about out here. I said, I don't care. We're not saying anything special. And so. I taped it up. I put tape over the camera so she couldn't see. But eventually, I removed it after a while because she said she took the app off her phone. So I said, okay, took it off the phone. Then I come to find she didn't take it off the phone because she d discussed something that Greg and I were talking about. I said, how did you know that? Uh, and she didn't have an answer, obviously. You know, she was listening in. So I knew she didn't take the app off. So what am I supposed to do, Frank? I want the ring. I need the ring. You know, Amazon comes, packages, okay? I don't want to leave them. I live in a great neighborhood. No one's going to take them, but I get a lot of packages. I don't want them to sit out there in the rain, the snow, or the sleet, right? I want to bring them in. No one's going to take them in my neighborhood. It's like a private neighborhood, and our neighbors, no, no one would. But I need it, but yet I have my ex I get it. That, I, yeah, well, yeah. first of all, I think you're asking for trouble there, Rocco. you got to do something about that. But, uh, yeah, I, I get it. Let me squeeze in one more call here, and then we have Noam Layden waiting in the wings. Pamela is in New Jersey. Hi, Pamela. Yeah, uh, especially the next door, and especially with what's happened with Rocco. I think we have the making of uh, a Twilight Zone episode, like the bomb shelter, ah! where the neighbors all get paranoid on each other. That is a perfect 
perfect analysis. I am a huge Twilight Zone fan. I know exactly what episode you're talking about, and I'm embarrassed I didn't think of that themselves. If people don't know what Pamela's talking about, there's this wonderful episode where essentially all the neighbors um, work themselves into a frenzy thinking that uh, basically somebody is an alien. And then there's another episode, a similar episode, where they think that uh, Armageddon is imminent and they were all fighting with one another, trying to get into the one bomb shelter in the neighborhood. And it creates, needless to say, a lot of hard feelings. Well, uh, you know, well done, Pamela, as, as always. Thank you. All right, Noam Layden is here. We're going to get his take on what's in the news straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's the great Lenny Kravitz here on the other side of midnight. Well, every morning right around this time, we are treated to a man with a nose for news. And boy, oh boy, does he have a lot of interesting headlines for us to review this morning. Stand by for the other side of midnight's news. Side of Midnight and its affiliated stations present national and international news with Frank Morano and news director Noam Layden. Their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story. Hey there, Noam. Good morning, Frank. How many times have you heard stories of a long-standing married couple where one spouse passes away and then weeks later uh, the other spouse All the time. dies? All the time. How about if you plotted it out to happen that way ahead of time? How would you feel about that? Well, what do you mean? So a former Dutch prime minister, Dries van Ock. Uh, Remember yes. Dries van Ock? Yes, I do. He was quite the prime minister of um, of Dutchland. Right, and yeah. quite Dutch. <laughs> right, yeah, Dutchland. That was Netherlands, the Netherlands. Yeah, it was yeah. the Netherlands, yeah. So he was the prime minister in from 1977 to 1982. And last week, he made a deal, or at least in the last couple of weeks, made a deal with his wife. They're both 93 years old to pass away at the same time. Now, it's legal to do so in the Netherlands. And sure enough, uh, as of last Monday, they were in bed together holding hands and they passed away together. They had gone through the process that you have to do in the Netherlands where you meet with a doctor. Uh, you have to be able to be right of mind to make that decision. They made that decision that they'd had all these medical issues. He had had a stroke. She had said some medical issues along the way. 
and they both passed away peacefully in their bed last week. And it was a surprise, of course, to his fellow countrymen who didn't know that he was planning to do this. Oh, not a surprise to the family. He let the family members know ahead of time what he was doing. And apparently this has become a bigger thing over the last couple years in the Netherlands. There is an increase in the number of couples that are making these plans to pass away together. Hmm. Uh, The numbers have gone up each year since they started doing this. uh, And last year, about uh, 5.1% of the people who took their own lives did so with a spouse, which I thought to be an incredibly high number. Absolutely. That you can get your husband and wife to agree on anything, right? Right, I mean, you know you've been married for a little while now. Wanting to die, yes. Yes, and to make that decision to die, no matter, I understand, sometimes people are really sick, and in this case, they were, and they felt like, hey, we've lived great lives. Uh, He was very involved in all kinds of political things after he left office. Uh, She had her own life as well, but they had reached a point where they said, we're not willing to go on with the quality of life that we have. But fascinating to me, that you get the husband and wife, or anybody, it doesn't matter, how it doesn't have to be husband and wife, anybody to agree on anything, especially about taking their own lives. And the fact that that number continues to go up each year in the Netherlands is fascinating to me. Well, I mean, I, I guess I understand the romance of it. I, I just wonder if some people are jumping the gun. I, I can absolutely understand the desire for physician-assisted suicide for someone that's suffering from a degenerative terminal illness I, I just wonder how common that is for couples to have that together. So I'm wondering if some people are maybe uh, killing themselves before I would be okay with them killing themselves. Yeah. I, it's hard to imagine. God, let me knock on some wood somewhere. Come at a point in my life where I'd be willing to do that. And, of course, it's always been very controversial here. There are some states that allowed physician-assisted suicide, but you have to jump through a lot of hoops to make that happen. Now, I know a lot of husbands that would have no problem volunteering their wife for this, right. but they're not willing to do it at the same no. time. They'll do the, oh, yeah, honey, we'll do it together. Right. Yeah, you go first. Right. Well, that's right, right. That's fascinating just in itself in that moment where you off, you know, you've made this decision and you're doing it at the same time. I mean, one person obviously must pass away before the other. That doesn't happen at the exact same time. I don't know. I just think it's really interesting and at some level a little gruesome as well. Yep. Something much a whole lot lighter. Charlotte the Stingray. Have you heard about Charlotte yes. the Stingray? Oh, you did. Yeah, but I, but I didn't. Oh, talk you didn't about do this story. Yeah, okay, tell okay. me about it. So Charlotte the Stingray is in an aquarium in North Carolina, and she's about to give birth. In fact. It was supposed to happen over the weekend. I checked. It did not. The thing that's so odd, you're saying, oh, but big deal. All right, Charlotte, the stingray is going to have pups. Who cares? Well, there is no male stingray in this aquarium. So they can't figure out exactly how she got pregnant. And there is two possible explanations. One is a process of what's called parthenogenesis, which is where you can self-pregnate and pregnate yourself. I'm not exactly sure 100 percent. I'm not a biologist how this works, but apparently it's very rare. Sometimes it does happen where you have stingrays are able to somehow impregnate themselves and have these pops. But they say that almost never happens. I mean, it's a rarity. So now they think these two sharks that they put into the aquarium over the summer, that one of them impregnated the stingray. Whoa. Yeah. 
And uh, the reason they believe that's probably what happened here is this stingray has bite marks on it. Charlotte has bite marks, and that's what happens a lot of times during the mating season. The sharks will nip at the person that they're trying to impregnate. And so she has bite marks, and so they think these will be shark stingray pups, which they don't think, at least in captivity, has ever happened before. So everybody's waiting to see what happens because they'll test the DNA once these pups come out. Uh, They've been doing ultrasounds, and they see that everything seems to be healthy, but they can't tell a whole lot more from the ultrasounds. Again, the pregnancy was supposed to happen because the period of labor for uh, stingrays is about three or four months usually. And so we're at that point already. Um, That would be crazy. The first documented instance of a shark-stingray hybrid. Yeah. So as soon as we hear about this, we will break into whatever you're doing, if it happens during your show, and we'll let you know what happens. I I would be disappointed uh, otherwise. The... um, or this could be an asexual reproduction. There you go. I don't. One of the two. Yes. That you say it much better. That I probably should have said that asexual no. reproduction. Well, I yeah. mean, I just was not even going to try my hand at parthenogenesis <laughs> or whatever you were saying. Oh, you said it nicely. Yeah. But uh, but uh, it's uh, it's really astounding either way. Are you? Do you know anybody that's your wife's not a vegan? Is she? No. Okay. She um she doesn't. She, neither of us are that big on meat, but. Uh, but uh, no, we both eat cheese. I, I eat a lot of fish. Yeah. Vegan restaurants are struggling. Apparently, depends on where you are. New York City has a few. But apparently, it's not easy to keep it going. So in the UK, there's a place called the Nomas Gastro Bar. It is a vegan restaurant. And they've added something really unexpected to their menu. What do you think that might be? Meat? Yes. <laughs> Lab grown meat? Well, it is. It's it's uh, responsibly sourced meat is the way they like to call it. They've also added responsibly sourced dairy options, and so the owner of this place uh, says that uh, business has just not been that great. And he knows he may offend some of the people who normally come to his restaurant because they don't want to be sitting next to somebody that's eating a steak, but he's willing to take those chances. So at the Nomos Gastro Bar in the UK, if you sit down, you'll have all these vegan options. But also if someone at your table is like, you know, I just want to have steak, a burger, whatever it may be. I want to have something yogurt, um, something dairy based. I can do that. And so he's promised that he has this uh, thoughtfully curated selection of high-quality, responsibly sourced meat and dairy options. And so he realizes it's a, it's a culinary pivot that's huge because they call themselves a vegan restaurant. But he says he's talked to other people. But there's an association of vegan restaurant owners in the U.K. They're all having the same problem. They're ha- having a hard time keeping the doors open. He says, hey, this is one option that may keep my door open. Well, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, uh, if you are a restaurant and you want to attract a, a, a wide variety of eaters, why not offer a wide variety of food as long as you're not using the same kind of pans and things like that, which it doesn't sound like this gentleman is, to cook the steak as you are the uh, cauliflower steak? Why not? You, clearly, you don't know any vegans. Because <laughs> vegans are just incredibly offended by the fact that someone near them would be eating a steak. They, Of course, the minute you tell them, that you meet them, the first thing they tell you is that they're a vegan usually, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I, <laughs> so I can't imagine these people would want to sit in a restaurant next to somebody, especially as a vegan restaurant. That's eating a steak. I don't. I don't see this flying, but that's just me. I, you know, I'm a big believer. Order what you want to order. That's it. Right. And you know, if the more option. I mean, it's that same thing that even if it, you're taking away the vegan option, 
you know, if, if you're whatever food issue you have, gluten-free, uh, pescatarian, anything or um, anything else, it, it's really frustrating to bring someone to a restaurant that you might really like and then they don't have anything they can order. Right. I, more options, the better. It's become really tough to go out to dinner with people because everybody does have some sort of crazy dietary thing that they yeah, have. That's for sure. That is for sure. Yeah. You want one more? Yeah, why not? This has become huge among 40-something-year-old uh, women. They're doing magic mushrooms. Have you heard about this? Y- yes, I have. I, I've not, uh, not being a 40-something-year-old woman, I have not done them, but I have friends that have. Microdosing has just become huge. And what's so fascinating about this is it's become huge among middle-aged women. And so this is, don't think magic mushrooms of some of your youth where you hallucinated and you got really high you didn't, and the walls were talking to you. I just heard from, from other experiences. Yeah, of course. But micro, this is microdosing where you're taking like a tenth of a mushroom. And what apparently it does is it kind of evens you out. It lowers your stress level. These are women a lot of times who are doing, handling a lot of things. They're raising a family. Sure. They're working nine to five. They're getting their kids to soccer and baseball practice. And a glass of wine is just not going to do it for them. Uh, marijuana doesn't work. And so this microdosing has become huge. It is illegal, by the way, these magic mushrooms in almost every single state across the country. So the fact that these women are getting these their hands on them uh, is interesting in itself. But if you go to uh, any vegetable market or um, those weekend markets, you know, uh, the what do they call those markets? The weekend markets where they sell all kinds of fun, healthy things yeah, for like you. Yeah, I know exactly what you yeah. mean. So you go to those and they're selling. Farmer's market. Thank you. Yeah. Farmer's market. At farmer's markets, almost any farmer's market you walk to, uh, now, at least on the East Coast or on the West Coast, you will find a stand that is selling these micro-dosed mushrooms. Wow. And so everybody's trying to figure out if this is a bad thing. Uh, for the most part, people are saying no. And you have these doctors who are essentially prescribing it to their patients who have major stresses in their life. Say, hey, this is what I would do. They tell them exactly which mushroom to microdose, where you can go find it. Uh, They're not expensive. And the population of people who are willing to admit that their microdosing is growing by the day. So the, the primary benefit is diminished anxiety? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I, um... I, again, like I said, I've I had friends that have uh, that have told me that they've tried this, but I had no idea that it was so prevalent. Yeah, especially again among women in their forties, early fifties, huge, huge. What did you do for the game last night? I had a little mini party at the house. You uh, stay up for the whole game? I did. Uh, you know, now I'm feeling it, but yes, I did stay up for the whole game. It was a great game. It really was. It really was. All right, uh, thank you, Noam Layden. Sure. And now you know the rest of the story. All right, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a bit. 800-848-9222 if you want to start queuing up. You know, a bunch of people, uh, first of all, I want to thank our friends uh, in our neighborhood, Rich and Danielle, that uh, invited us over to watch the game. You know, and they were really good sports. You know, know, we were very, very close friends. Um, And uh, Danielle was the person that was bitter that she didn't get picked as Listener of the Week last week. But, you know, it's tough. It's dog-eat-dog world out there, and, you know, you got to give Donna her due. And so uh, they had invited us over. Unbeknownst to me, my wife had already said she was going to go with Carmine over to our neighbor across the street, Tara. 
And, you know, that's fine. I, I would either go or maybe I would stay home and watch the game and maybe do some biking or just do some work. Or if it was not an interesting game, which this turned out to be, I would take a nap during the game. Then yesterday we get the word from the neighbor across the street, day of. I mean, and it wasn't really like a party. It was very informal. We get the word from the neighbor across the street, you know, uh you know, the boys are not feeling too well. They're actually sleeping. I don't even know what the deal is. I'm pretty tired. And basically it was a canceled invitation day of. So we had already declined the invite from Rich and Danielle. But my wife then responds, hey, you know, our plans opened up last minute if you still want to, you know, do something. So they still had us over last minute anticipating having nobody and were very, very good hosts, uh, Valentine. Their son is the same age as Carmine, so they had a good time playing, and uh, and uh, Rich put together a fabulous, fabulous meal, and it was a lot of fun. You know, one of the things that I was wondering if anybody else noticed, and I wasn't going to say anything because if nobody else noticed, I was just going to wait until I was on the radio to talk about it in my very passive-aggressive manner, is it was so hot in there. I don't know if the heat was on or if it was hot because Rich was cooking or what the door story was, but it was so hot. Same as my brother's on Friday. That was really hot. But anyway, then about, you know, right before the, uh, right around halftime, Danielle, or Rich says to his wife, Danielle, hey, did you turn on the air conditioning? Danielle says, yes. It's uh, whatever she said. It's John Blazin in here. It's, It's really hot. So thank you to her especially for bringing a little bit of coolness to a very, very, Mars-like atmosphere. So uh, thank you to them. A lot of people have been asking me about this uh, situation involving John Gotti Jr.'s wife and daughter. I really don't have much to say about it, uh, so I'm not going to say much. But if you haven't heard about it, there was a situation where John Gotti Jr.'s wife, Kimberly, and his daughter, Gianna, were arrested in what they say was an assault at a high school basketball game. Well, I have investigated this. First of all, I know Kim, and Kim is the kindest, most gentle, docile person in the world that does not have that uh, infamous gaudy temper at all. And so it looks like they got to an altercation with another person who was heckling them and who threw the first punch, and then it looks like you know, Kim and her daughter responded, and then they didn't want to press charges, meaning the Gaudis didn't want to press charges against this other couple because apparently that's not the kind of thing they do. And because they didn't want to press charges, the other other woman did press charges. I will tell you this, though, to that woman that uh, went after Kim Gotti, you have no idea how lucky you are that you went after her instead of her mother-in-law, Victoria, Victoria Sr., uh, the the widow of the original John Gotti, because I can promise you whatever Kim did, Victoria Sr. would have uh, really reacted in a much more vociferous manner. But, you know, obviously I wasn't there. I can't speak to it firsthand. But uh, knowing what I know of Kim, she's not the type to engage in fights or start fights. 
even though that's how a lot of the press has uh, characterized it. So that's pretty much it. I'm only mentioning it because a lot of people emailed me about it. All right. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. 15 seconds of fame. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. Telephone sanitizers, uh, an instant classic, if ever there was one. The other side of midnight. Let me hear from you for 15 seconds. The other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Neil. Frank, uh, I was taking that Viagra to treat my Alzheimer's, and I went for a cleaning, and the hygienist was looking at me funny. Larry. Frank, it's easy. The stingray was impregnated by the same method that thousands of kids get through college today. Osmosis. Mike. Morning, Frank. Robert Herr is the child amongst us who finally said what we've all been thinking. The emperor has no clothes. And it's winter in Washington. At least put a coat on or there will be shrinkage. Rick. Frank, in your opinion... Who has had more brain injuries in their lifetime, the NFL or Curtis Lewa? Jimmy. Legends Diner in Secaucus, New Jersey. New Jersey's best old-fashioned tin diner. Black and white photos of Hollywood legends with the best uh, meals and best portions. And finally, Lisa. And did you know that the first electronic musician was part of this whole uh, Super Bowl. So Tiesto was supposed to be there, but he had a family emergency, so he pulled out, and Cascade was there. And he's really, really excited to represent our electronic music community. Thank you, Lisa. That slams the lid on things for today. God willing, I'll be back tomorrow. Frank Morano, good day. <laughs>